In the White House, President Eisenhower signs the proclamation that makes Alaska's entry into the Union official, nearly 92 years after Lincoln's Secretary of State bought the territory from the Russian Tsar for $7 million. The Alaska Wild Project podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Barney Sports Chalet, supplying hunters with the best hand-selected gear since 1963. The exclusive home of Frontier Gear, built for the rugged Alaskan terrain. Your one-stop shop for all your outdoor needs. Visit Barney's today at 906 West Northern Lights. Big Rays, the Alaskan outfitter, committed to outfitting Alaskans across the state since 1947. Whether you're a recreator, parent, guide, or corporate buyer, Big Rays has the gear you need tailored for Alaska's harsh conditions. Check out their new exclusive line of Aurolic waders. Big Rays for all your outdoor gear and rugged work attire. BigRays.com. Tailored Restoration 24-Hour Emergency Home Services. Helping Alaskans restore their dreams since 1972. Services include fire, water, mold, post-emergency cleaning, repair, and remodeling. Give them a call in Anchorage, Eagle River, Matsu, or Fairbanks. Hit them up at tailoredrestorationalaska.com. Total Truck and Alaska Overlander, Alaska's premier supplier for custom automotive accessories and overlanding products, providing all-inclusive rental vehicles and trailers custom outfitted to explore the Alaskan backcountry with a unique and convenient traveling experience. TheTreehouseAK.com located at 341 Boniface Parkway, Alaska's own and grown cannabis and CBD store. Ask the bud tender what the strain of the day is to get your 10% off. The Treehouse, where the culture lives. AKO Farms, located in Sitka, Alaska, built from the ground up with concentrates as their single motivation, with exclusive products such as their sugar wax, full spectrum diamond sauce cards, and more. Ask your local bud tender about AKO. Marijuana has intoxicating effects and may be habit-forming and addictive. Marijuana impairs concentration, coordination, and judgment. Do not operate a vehicle or machinery under the influence. There are health risks associated with consumption of marijuana. For the use of only by adults 21 and older, keep out of the reach of children, and marijuana should not be used by women who are pregnant or breastfeeding. The Bait Shack, located on Ship Creek upstream of the bridge. Can't miss the bright red shack. They are the go-to fishing gear rental and guide service on Ship Creek. Tight lines and fish on. Come hook into the action with them. Hit them up at thebaitshackak.com. Lawn Pro AK, Alaska's year-round professional property maintenance team. Services include weekly lawn care, custom landscaping, fertilizing, weed control, turf repair, and more. Schedule your free estimate at lawnproak.com. Alaska's OG Cider Company, Double Shovel, crafting gluten-free colonial-style ciders, founded as a healthier non-inflammatory brew option. Drop by their pop and tap room in Anchorage off of 58th and Arctic, or visit the second location in Kodiak. Double Shovel, award-winning ciders. The Alaska chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. BHA is the voice of our Alaskan public lands, waters, and wildlife. Their goal is to uphold our hunting and fishing legacy while keeping our public lands wild. Stand up today and join BHA at backcountryhunters.org. That was for Brandon. <laughs> Perfect. We've been missing. We haven't been hitting it on target. One for the homies. We've been missing a lot. Oh, man. I started early. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good, good. Brian, you're going to have to move that mic close to your mouth there so we can get the full uh, there we go. 
the full effect. I'd keep that about two inches from your face there. Okay. And yeah, that thing will stop it's, anywhere it's, you it's want. As Jack knows, I tend to shout <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> when I talk. I never yell. I just can talk Does loud. You, People that volume. spend all their time outside talk loud. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's right. a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of wind. Yeah. Lots yeah. of wind. Yeah. All right. How's that sound? all right? Yeah, you're good. Okay. Good to go. Yeah, I was sounding, sounding like Batman there uh, last weekend. We we were um, fishing on the um, the lower Kenai. What? For Reds, we had a family reunion in town. Something was going on with my throat. So I was yelling up and downstream, kind of helping everyone, you know. And the water is so high that there wasn't, like, an easy place to land fish. So yeah. it was like I was constantly going up and down to help all the visitors. We had the drift boat down there. But, like, the next day, for the th- following three days, I sounded exactly like Batman. And it was <laughs> awesome. So, like, people I had never met before that were here thought that was my voice. It was great. <laughs> How was the family? How many people came up? Man, uh, I didn't count, but it was that we had at least forty visitors. Every, so there's five households in Anchorage, and every one of their houses were completely full. There's a rental, and then like everyone's like our pod and camper and stuff had <laughs> guests outside in the driveway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh so it was it was packed out for sure. Nice. Yeah. It's a little more than a little more than Christmas vacation, Griswold style. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I thought everyone's gonna like travel around and do their own thing, go like go up to Denali. But no, they like wanted to hang out, so it was oh. like, oh, Jack, where do you need to get? And they're like, oh, oh I'm supposed to go to work. They're like, oh, let's go hiking. <laughs> and you're like, oh, all right, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jack, I need you to take everyone fishing again. Yeah. What are you going to cook us? Yeah. Nothing. Well, I got to take my meds. So, yeah. what are you cooking me? <laughs> everyone is super helpful. Like, they're down. They, they're oh, all cool. like, they're Laos. They get after it. They're gamers. Nice. But nice. they from just New York? didn't. Where did know. everyone come from? Well, the Laos are all from Wyoming originally. Oh, okay. So, Wyoming, uh, there's a lot in Nevada now, and then Washington. And then there's people are spread around. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a bunch of family. Was there an occasion or just come visit? You, the we're on a two year family reunion schedule. After how much fun we had two years ago in Olympic every National two Park. years. That's, that's nice. what I'm hearing. Wow. So that's what that's fun. So we had we we had the first one in ten years two years ago in uh, in Washington Olympic Olympic Park and and it, and it was awesome. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So we're on a two year schedule. Hopefully, it's like not in anyone's like hometown next time it's like somewhere everyone mm. goes and it's like all right we're going for four days yeah. everyone's on the same four days not yeah. like oh i'm going a week early oh, i'm staying a week late yeah then you don't have like to do your daily chores oh yeah it was just it yeah. made it for like two weeks of family in town you know yeah that's so, fun it was good and then the cleanup yeah <laughs> and, then, and then the cleaner and then it was like my dad and i were talking and it was like john Lau's never exhausted and I was like, dude, I'm so exhausted. And he's like, yeah, I almost didn't make it to this dinner. I wanted to go to sleep. It was like 4 o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon. I've never seen him take a nap, you know? <laughs> Nothing tires you out like family. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've been spending a lot of time with family. Went camping a lot with my parents while they're here. They leave in like two weeks now to go to Europe and then back to Columbia. Nice. So all the kids were getting out with them. We did the Russian River, floated. Speaking about the floating, so we went and did um, – we did the upper one day and then we were going to do the middle and ski lack was just hot mess. Uh-huh. I mean, there's just people everywhere, a line uh-huh. of like 10 cars to launch. Yeah. 
Um, so I had my parents and obviously my wife and kids, and then my sister flew up and her husband, and they and they were in Carlos Raft, and we did we had a great day, beautiful day. Um, did the whole middle. It was nice. It was nice that we started late because just not there's so less people. Not so. Well, yeah. I mean, not as many people. You know what I mean? Because yeah. all those guys got to get off at yep. like six. So we didn't get off the river till like nine, which yep. was nice. So we kind of had it somewhat like to ourselves on the end there. But then we go back. We had a Russian River camp spot with the Handy Bonk guys. With, oh, yeah. With Roger and all those. So it seemed like the whole Russian River campground was ours. Like, so we could just let the dogs go nice. because it's like, don't worry. It's, we know everyone yeah. in all the spots. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we get back and, uh, my brother had got a hole in his raft on the way there because he put the bike on the raft like a, <laughs> like oh, a dumbass, and and then like one of the pedals punctured the thing. But that was that's an easy fix. But I get back and we're like eating dinner or whatever, and my brother's like, "Oh, looks like your raft. Something's up with your raft on the left side." So I go and it's like all deflated, like one of the quadrants is all deflated. I'm like, "What?" I was like, "What's going on here?" The seam, so it has, like, on the front has a seam on both sides like this, and then there's a seam in the middle that's under that main thing. The seam had, like, split, like, whatever's covering that thing, and then the seam had just totally, like, split. It wasn't, like, a hole. It was... Underneath. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Seam failure. Seam fell on that, Uh and then I'm like, what's going on? So I was like, like, all right, so I'll try to prepare it or repair it on whatever I, like... Did the glue. I didn't do it. I did kind of a shitty job um, just to pump it up. And then I noticed that the seam on the other side is like starting to come off. Okay. And then there's a seam that's in the middle that's under under that main flap, I guess. Uh-huh. There must be another seam that there's like two seams and then a, mid, a center seam. Okay. And I'm like, here in air, I'm like, where is this coming from? I was like, seems like it's coming from the middle. So I'm like pushing. I'm like, I was like, it is. I was like, I can't even access that. Like, yeah. So I don't know how common how common is that that those seams come apart like that. Uh, you know, there's there's a certain half life to just about every boat, mm. and uh, and then all the different brands, just like cars, are going to have certain symptoms over time. And it sometimes it's not you, you know, it's not you that physically or mechanically did damage, you know, or trailer rash or you know whatever on the river or putting the bicycle or something sharp in, yeah. you know, hooks and whatnot. Um, but uh, you know, there is a half life to just about everything. And you probably on that boat have a glued seam. Mm-hmm. And what happens is there's some outgassing over time. So that plastomer group is changing. And that outgassing is you're losing that seam integrity. And most seams, even if they're constructed properly and glued properly, you'll have a seam tape on the inside, which is not very accessible. <laughs> yeah. And then you'll have the actual overlap of the seam. Mm-hmm. And that'll have a certain you know number of inches of overlap. Yep. And then you'll finally have a seam tape on the outside. And so those seam tapes are overlapping that main seam. Gotcha. And the seam tapes usually don't have a lot of apron. Not, they're not real wide. Mm-hmm. No, it's like... You know, it's about an inch, mm-hmm. you know, maybe an inch and a half. Very, mm-hmm. few, very few or two inches of apron, but some are. And, uh, and those are all glued, too. So what happens, though, is if you get that main seam going then the seam tapes don't have the integrity to really hold it back. They protect it. They protect it from UV or something wiping against the seam mm-hmm. and things like that. But, uh, but over time, um, and, and, and a lot of times, too, if you leave your boat out, and so it's in the sun, for example, and then it's yeah. cold, and it's sun, and it's cold. So you can just expansion, contraction, expansion, yeah. contraction. And there's a micro-environment inside the boat. 
that's happening too. Similar if you popped a balloon, you've created that instant microclimate where it's slimy inside, mm-hmm. but you swear it didn't start slimy inside. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so those pressure changes create that microclimate and that stretching and contracting and stretching. And, and that microclimate is what ends up usually taking, taking seams out. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. And on your boat, likely that glued seam is the weakest point on your boat. Where if mm. you had a welded seam and it was welded correctly, it'd be actually the strongest point on the mm. boat. Gotcha. Not, not that either holds air any better than the other, mm-hmm. but as far as that half lifing and time and that outgassing and all those other factors, yeah. the welded seam usually will ha- hold its integrity. Gotcha. Longer. But you might have issues with both. Yeah. It's hard to say. So a welded seam is like you actually press it. Like together with some heat yeah, and some chemicals usually as well. Yeah, usually it's line. a heat or a radio frequency that does that. Oh. And so there's different welders that are out there, whether it's literally almost like a, like a, a hand iron. Mm. That's how okay. pack crafts, a lot of pack crafts are made. That's what I was thinking. Because you've got to be kind of sensitive and touchy-feely with a pack craft. It's light-duty materials. But uh, on big rafts, you have like even wedge welders that grab on both sides and wow. and heat it up. And then yeah. there's air welders, too. And uh, you can create really rugged seams all the different ways. I was um, thinking, like, carpet seam, you know, you hold on both sides. Yeah. Too. So yeah. <coughs> are you sure yours is glued? It doesn't seem like it was glued. I think it was welded. Okay. Um, because you can actually... S- I don't see any like residue or any kind of like I ended up trying to glue it, uh-huh. but I did a really shitty job because I was just like, oh, let me just see if I can fix <laughs> yeah. this real quick because I was going to go again the next day. And right. I was like, oh, this isn't going to hold. Right. But I'm like, God, good thing I wasn't on the middle of the river. Oh, here. yeah. And the whole thing, the seam just comes apart with my entire family and my parents. Totally. You know, oh, on yeah. the raft, dude. Pump, like, pump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so now I'm like, you know, I got to get that. I don't know, I don't it's, even know where to take that. And so that's a Gary King boat, Alaska. Yeah, Alaska Outfitters. Yeah. Yeah, so okay. that is a glued boat. Okay. Those uh, they they started uh, making those in a in a company in South Korea originally. Yeah. And um, they they of course copied a lot of boats there. And mm-hmm. you know, the South Koreans are really good at copying things pattern by pattern. <laughs> and you know, you get a lot of textile industries in in the Asian countries that are really with it. They know how to measure stuff, they know how to mm-hmm. you know, get get things right in that regard. But uh, you got a couple things going on in those countries. Um, you got massive swings in humidity. So if your boat was made during the monsoon season, it's probably going to live about half as long as something made in the dry season Mm. because it's glued. you got that high humidity. And then it also depends on who's heavy enough to be rolling those seams. If you've got, you know, a very light person that doesn't really push very hard, you're not going to get quite the seam integrity either. So there's a lot of factors in that. But uh, there are many companies that used that, that factory Mm-hmm. And the the uh, the boats that say Gary King on the side. If you know anything about the history of Gary King, that was one of the premier sports stores mm-hmm. in right. Alaska. That yeah. you you know people from all around the world knew. It was kind of a mini Cabela's before Cabela's had stores all over the country, kind of a thing. It was its own little. And uh, and Gary King was very with it and knew what was going on. And yeah. uh, but after that store failed. You know, with the box stores and everything, it just syndicated buying wasn't working out. And and when that when that store finally failed, um, there was a translator involved that was making these uh, these deals with these factories in South Korea. 
Well, the manager that was in the boat department didn't see eye to eye with Gary King, and that's how you ended up with the Sixth Avenue Outfitter boat, and mm-hmm. eventually that became the Alaskan Outfitter Company. Yeah, oh. and so they, of course they sparred back and forth who was the better raft, and on and on and on. <laughs> but they were actually the same specs, the same boats, same yeah. dimensions, same translator. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and uh, so, but that's a glued boat, and 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 if it was sold correctly, it was it was viewed as a high value to cost boat. Mm-hmm. that could go mild to wild for the most part. And if you're willing to live with a little bulkiness and not quite the handling, and, you know, there's a few things lost in the translation of the build, mm-hmm. you know, all those things considered. But, uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of a lot of those boats that are still on water. Yeah. Know? So, uh, I mean, I've, I feel like I've got my money out of the boat. I've oh, definitely yeah. used the boat a lot. Yeah. yeah. A lot. It's been on many, 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 many trips. Yeah. All over the state. Oh, yeah, dude. So now I'm like, well, do I repair it and try to keep it going, or do I just get something else? I don't know. what. Who does those kind of repairs? So I have a whole repair station, you, and we're probably one of the busiest do. in the state. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So when I say we're after the pandemic, it's <laughs> it's party of one, army of one, yeah. you know, yeah. kind, of, kind of a thing. But uh, So on that, I just wanted to add on that. So when you repair it, also... Do you replace the entire panel itself, or do you just do the same? Well, in, in this case, what we're going to look at first, because, you know, I'm, I'm not a kind of a guy, as Jack knows, I'm not a guy that holds up a cash register. I'm an on-water guy and look at it from a, you know, what would I want on my back out in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, what I'm going to look at first is I'm going to look at what's called your HIN number. It's the same as a VIN number on a vehicle. Mm-hmm. And those last, this is, this is, you know, good for, you know, your audience too, those last two digits or the year it was made. Mm. Unlike a VIN, VIN number on a car, you'd have to figure out that code for keys mm-hmm. and on and on and on. Yep. Mm. Carry the but, two. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. but those last two digits are going to tell you what the date is on that boat. Okay. And that boat has a really good practical lifespan of about 5 to 15 years. And once you're into that 15-year mark, you're going to start you know, keeping it real clean and keeping a, an eye on it. Yeah. And, uh, and some people can get 20 years out of it depending on use and depending on how clean it was when they put it away. Right. And uh, so, it's, so it's possible to get that. But once seams start to go and you're having multiple seams starting to go, the rest of the boat's going to go that way too. Mm. So even if, I, even if I do a seam repair, as invasive as that is to go do that and spendy as it is to go do that, those heroics probably aren't worth it because as soon as you do that, it's going to fish mouth right where I didn't do the repair. It's going to start to come open. Gotcha. And so, I mean, you know, it, it, it should be inspected. It's, mm-hmm. and, and you should have sort of a baseline of, you know, where you're going to go with it. And it's sort of a hierarchy of, you know, what you need repaired and what you're willing to sort of live with, depending on your use. Yeah. But I would say if multiple seams are going in the same area, there's complexities in that repair alone, and it gets spendy. Gotcha. And it's probably going to happen throughout the rest of the boat. And a mm. lot of it's happening on the inside of the boat where you don't see it happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, and I was like putting my finger, yeah. I was like, this is on the middle. I was like, there's no way I can even <laughs> access this. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's just seemed beyond my uh, capabilities. But I'd love to take it down and just have you take a look at it. But it got me thinking and talking to my brother. It was like, you know, I was like, I was like, man, there's a lot of seams here. If this continues to happen, it's gonna be like. So is there is there a raft that is of higher quality that maybe has less seams or has a longer life to it, or the welded? 
Mm-hmm. Most definitely there are. Okay. Um, in some cases, you know, you'll say, oh, well, then I'm going to have to pay an exorbitant fee for that. And there are those options out there. There's going to be, you know, mil spec and commercial grade, you know, versions of, of these things. And, and that's what your boat has some basis for in, mm-hmm. its, in its design. But, uh, but that said, you don't need to go, you know, all out and have six to eight to ten grand in just the boat before you ever put a frame and oars and straps and all the things that make a comprehensive package. Yeah. So there are some players in the game that have very good um, control of their, their, their fabrication, that it's close to on site, so they're controlling that aspect of it. But also uh, in the build, it's not very far from where the fabrics are. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, you know, the quality control remains very consistent throughout. Gotcha. And what happens there is uh, that th- then you can get those price points that have very high value uh, to quality ratios without getting into the six to eight to 10 grand rafts. And they will go mild to wild and they will have welded seams. Yeah. And some of those boats might not be the fastest to the fishing holes or fastest into camp, but they will get you there reliable every time. Yeah. And so who's really in a race? The only people that are really should be in a race on a river are probably outfitters and guides. Yeah. You know, that uh, those commercial operators say, hey, I need to get to this campsite because I have this size of group and this is what they're here to do, yeah. you know, wildlife or fishing or, you know, whatever they came to, came to do. So a guide might see another outfitter in front of him and say, we're going to pass that guy like he's standing still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's that, then those expensive geometries and those, those things like that start to pay off. Gotcha. But for the most part, you don't need that. What you need is a really reliable boat that's forgivingly stable, that you're just, every day you go out, you're not going to be thinking about what's next, what's going to mm-hmm. happen to this boat. And yeah. So uh, so there are those, those, those brands that exist. Okay. Yeah, because, and then I started, like, looking at other brands, and you're right. I mean, it gets up to, like, $9,000 for a raft, and I'm like, that's, oh, yeah. what's, what, is, what is causing this to be so expensive? So you would say that the raft that I have and my brother has and several people have is in like a scale of one to 10, kind of in the middle. No, it's probably in the three in the three. Okay. The three out of 10. And that doesn't mean that three is bad. You should, you should probably be having, you know, two and three starting is pretty doggone good. Mm -hmm. One and below is a pool (laughs) toy. Gotcha. <laughs> and um, and people do make their way down rivers with pool toys and inner tubes every day, but that's, you yeah. know, you don't want to invest your family and your time and your gear and, you know, everything else in, in, in yeah. that scenario. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Get, get some Walmart Skyhawks. Yeah. We well, I mean, we my went f- down the Yakima on that, actually. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> bought, bought an extra one for the cooler in case they had to the cooler and save ourselves. Yeah. And your only investment yeah. loss could be the beer you were hauling pretty in much, the boat. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. That's what yeah. Yeah, that's why we have the plastic caps now. You just carry yeah. to your Mustang. The koozies. Yeah, your Mustang. Uh, right a six-pack koozie down. holder. Well, yeah. I mean, I envision myself mm. rafting the rest of my life. My family loves it. My wife loves it. I mean, we love fishing on it, hunting on it, and doing all that stuff. So I'm now that I know that where I am with this raft, I'm like, well, maybe I should invest in something that's going to be of higher quality. So what are, if you're willing to say, what are some of those brands that are like, okay, these ones are kind of middle of the road, but, you know what I'm saying, you're not going to worry about mm-hmm. being stranded, you know, in some right. river. And can you well, keep well, your well, frame as well? That was, yeah, that was an explanation. Well, let me back you up a little bit here. So, um, you know, you 
you hit the nail on the head is that this is something that, you know, you can do for a lifetime. Once you develop, you know, you've got to learn something, obviously, and you've got to have some skill sets and some comfort zones um, and, and then have some realistic, uh, you know, we're, we're, all, we're not all young anymore, right? So yeah. you start out with, with uh, very high comfort zones and sometimes low skill sets, and it gets you through, whereas, you know, the older you get, you hope to get, you work smarter on the river. And so, but, but the other thing you said is that, you know, you can do this for a lifetime and a family, and there's versatility there. So if you're, if you're out fishing, if you're out camping, if you're out hunting, if you don't feel like backpacking it all in on your back, um, and, and compared to the, like, the lodge experience, too, mm-hmm. a lot of people, uh, you know, in, in Alaska, their dream is to go to a big fishing lodge. And, uh, you know, and, and I suppose f- for somebody that says, well, I'm not really up to rafting. I don't have the skill set. I don't have the comfort zone. I don't have the gear. I don't know what I'm doing. So maybe I shouldn't start on my own and have a do-it-yourself or out there. But those fishing lodges are 10 to 20000 a week. Yeah. They're expensive. What, you're, what the experience, though, that you're getting, even though that you are flying to all these little outpost camps and all these little destinations here and there, and those are pretty epic places to go, um, is it worth 10 or 20 grand? Absolutely not. It's people processing at its finest. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not a dig to any given one lodge out there, but I'm saying, you know, you, you could go out in the middle of nowhere spending that 10 or 20 grand, go to a bleached out, moldy weatherport camp that looks like it barely survived the winter and you step off the airplane and you better hope the fishing's good in the river because the rest of it is very very basic and and you could be doing all that to a much higher degree and much more fun and much better fishing and a a daily scenery change as you go rafting yeah so it's totally the way to do things up here those are our highways of opportunity that uh, so few get the opportunity to experience yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, I'd love, I, I mean, it's one of our favorite things to do is mm-hmm. to go rafting. Um, and I started off, as most people might have, it's, I mean, I don't know when I started, 15 years ago with a little one-man raft before mm-hmm. I was married and, and uh, you know, hitting the Kenai and all these different places with a little one-man raft and I had a little fish cat and that thing's been holding steady. Actually, just that thing blew a seam. The same, dude, oh, the same this past weekend. I was trip. like, well, we can't take the big raft. I was like, well, I'll take the little guy out. You know, I haven't took her out. <laughs> and I go in the backyard and my son's like, doesn't look like, it looks like she's having a baby. And I'm like, what? So I go back there and I'm like, what are you talking about? And like the seam on the side came oh, off and it's just like bulging out. Oh, I'm like, oh, oh my God, what is going out. on? On. Yeah. I was like, no. Better to happen in the yard, though. That's, that's right. right. That's what I thought. That's what yeah. I told them, too. I said, at least it happened here. waving? I think if you were if you were to go out, uh, you know, I, and I've seen, of course, pictures sometimes that, you know, Jack will share on the Internet or whatever. We've been friends on Facebook for 10 years. Yeah, maybe, at least. You know, something like that. And uh, so, I, you know, I tend to see some of the boats that go out. And I think the... You know, some of those are what they that that I've seen are called bug boats, mm. and they were um, they were put out by that Wu Song. Basically, translate that as inflatable fun company gotcha. of Korea. You know, <laughs> and and uh, and so they came out with a, a company by the name of Star came out, and Star was made in the same factory. And so they they uh, produced these bug boats, which are supposed to be sort of half cataract, half raft. Mm. So the floors are raised up off mm-hmm. the bottom. They don't have an inflatable floor. They have actually just a, a conventional floor, but raised off the bottom. 
they have fairly fat tubes in the midline, and then they diminish as they go up. So the boat kind of is U-shaped. If you looked at it straight on the water, it looks mm-hmm. kind of U-shaped because oh. the floor never is on the water. Okay. And um, they're, they're big tubed in the middle, so they're kind of skinny. They don't have quite the capacity as a self-baler would. They don't have quite the stability. But what they are is they're kind of unique for day fishing or quick jaunts with no loads. They do really well in that environment because you don't have that weight of an inflatable floor. You yeah. don't have some of those things going. And you do get a little bit of the attributes of the cat and the raft for handling. You could put a little motor back there, a little less mm. surface tension on the water. So there's a, there's a time and a place for them. Yeah. But, uh, but at the same time, uh, a conventional raft, self-bailing raft, and a cataract in their own right outperform the bug style hands down yeah mm. and so normally i would say make a selection versus a hybrid uh, of the two gotcha is that, is that the blue one you had on your facebook or on your website the one that like had the two tubes and then kind of raised floor so at one point so yeah that was probably a, a repair that we were doing uh, and okay. i was explaining sort of the achilles heels of the bug boats gotcha. and okay. you know a cataract if you get big enough diameter and the tubes are are you know basically parallel on there yeah. you can straddle over a lot of things like instead of just going around every single rock in the river if, <laughs> yeah. if it's if it's something sort of mogul sized and straddleable you don't have to go around it on a cataract yeah. well it's it, it invites you in a big boat in a, in a bug boat to do that mm. and of course the bigger diameter in the bug boat you're going to haul a little more weight in it and it's going to it's going to lull you into thinking you can still do that and what happens is it gets rock rash right down the center uh. just as if you ran over a rock and hit your differential in your vehicle <laughs> it's it's that scenario and so they tend to rip out there a lot mm. and I can uh, see that. so i i probably put that on the website as you know the, here's another one <laughs> <laughs> and then a lot of those boats what they did um and i don't know why um Jim King, that was Gary King's son, decided that this was what they were going to do. It probably predates his involvement in any of the copies and designs. But uh, they put this track stuff on it. And Star did the same thing. A lot of these, because they were all just kind of working from the same factory, same components, same designs, and just calling it something different. So I've seen, like, uh, some of you guys are running what would be called the Keen Eye Drifter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's uh, CJ and Kyle's boat. Oh, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And uh, and so so uh, you know that from the stars' perspective was called the Bug Series, <laughs> and so everybody had these different names for the exact same thing. But what they did was they put a basically a dock rash like strake material on the bottom, and uh, it's an unsupported material, but it's mainly for hitting a dock with possible staples and scrapes and things like uh, that that uh, it's kind of ribbed right yes it's ribbed okay and it but it's it's oh, a yeah. it's a okay. horrible scenario for a, a river raft because it it robs you of handling mm. might help you a little bit with straight tracking but who's really straight tracking much yeah. on a river you're always kind of working with the river and the ferry angles and whatnot but uh, the problem is is you always get injuries right along all of that that striking material that rub striking stuff and it's impossible to repair that very well in the field yeah Mm. and if you punch a hole completely through those ribs Mm. how are you going to put a patch on it the only way is to actually grind all those ribs completely flat and who has a belt sander out there yeah so so uh you know i guess if you were just always trailering your boat 
and it was always relatively easy rivers and deep rivers, then I, I could see it making sense. But, mm. uh, but from an Alaska perspective, it's just horrible because it makes it harder to pack, harder to repair. I mean, all... Probably all, heavier, all, too. Huh? Oh, much heavier, much yeah. heavier. And uh, so you, you tend to see... You, you, t- you tend to see a lot of that in that... Uh, in the... In the uh, Alaskan adventure, you know mm-hmm. the the Gary King boats, the st- the older star boats. Mm-hmm. In uh, now, you guys just did a recent float trip, yeah, with yeah. me as well. I just, I just saw CJ, and he was like, "Yeah, we figured out that we are we drag a lot, and then on top of that, like the boat's the slowest. The boat's the slowest. It's He's the like, slowest, we're the slowest by far. <laughs> Everything, yeah, is yeah, like yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. one of the boats that came on the trip was this new star that um, yeah. that Brian has. So star, the green one. Yeah, the green. That's one. the one yeah, we ran the green. Yeah. Okay. So what's interesting is that the the uh, rep from Star that's in the U.S. and they were mostly an East Coast operation, but but a long you know a long time in the business. The, the people know what they were doing. It's just uh, who was going to make their boat for them is what it comes down mm-hmm. to. And if all the major U.S. brands say no. We'll go get it somewhere else. What are you gonna? You're gonna finally go. No, but I need a boat. Yeah. <laughs> I need yeah. a boat to sell. So gotta so find you, that translator, right? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Retirement. And so, uh, but but NRS uh, Northwest River Supply uh, decided to buy 50 percent of Star, and they moved a factory to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And this was about the time that all the tariffs were starting during the Trump administration. So there was a lot of tariff dodgers and what was happening there, you know, the tariff dodgers were doing it for a reason. They wanted to keep a price point. They wanted to keep something consistent. But all of a sudden, once the tariffs started, they started outsourcing everywhere. So the floor was coming from someplace, the raft was coming from someplace, the valves were coming. And sometimes it was a mystery in every single box. Oh, wow. and, and I experienced that with a, a company that I was working with that I was designing some of their boats and having some good success with. And, I mean, not, not 100% of my designs were coming out perfectly the way I wanted it, but close, and they were willing to work with me. And it really put those, that company's boats on the West Coast and in Alaska because they wouldn't have sold at all mm. uh, otherwise. But uh, what we did was we took kind of a recreational-grade boat, put commercial-grade features on it, put commercial grade valves on it and all of a sudden you had something that recreationally now could go wild to wild and be pressed into commercial use and some of those uh i mean are going strong still yeah and, and a lot of them were glued boats so so we, you know we all of a sudden we were now competing with all the gary king and this old star and all this stuff but we were selling them for what they should be yeah and telling people what they were not saying go down six mile every night with your commercial <laughs> you know six tops mm-hmm. you know but uh but anyway these were great moose hunting boats great fishing boats great to do you know up to class four and you just don't want big waterfalls and rock wall hits in class five with these it's uh it's not that it couldn't do it it's just you wouldn't do it all the time mm-hmm. yeah. so that you know that brand went by the wayside because during the the uh the, the all the tariff dodging then came the pandemic so now mystery in every box came What's the mystery and what's missing in every uh, missing mystery? <laughs> and, and, and they're still getting shipped to Alaska, so the box is the same size, but it's you can't do anything with it. So I was starting mm. to stockpile box after box after box, and I told the company, "This your your issues won't get out because they're not good for you guys, and they're not good for me, and I'm never going to put these on an Alaska river, yeah. and never going to demo them, never going to rent them, never going to sell them." 
but you got to figure out what to do with them because they're piling up. Yeah. <laughs> and it was to the point where self-bailing floors that were put in the boats were gasketing off all the holes. Mm. And so that you'd inflate the floor and it would just completely close off the, all the holes. Man. So it looked like a boat, but to the, the person that would possibly buy that unknowingly, yeah, oh, they had, they'd have no. They'd go and hit some big waves and think everything was great, and their boat would be full, and they'd be like, "Why is this not self-bailing?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, get the bucket, yeah. guys. Yeah. <laughs> and, and sadly, what happened to probably the majority of those boats is they were sold on Amazon and eBay to un, unbeknowing customers mm, sure. after they left my hands. That you know, it was just like, no, we're yeah. done, we're done. Right. But there were other players that didn't have to go do that because again their materials and their boat manufacturer literally on the same block if you took a football field the other the other side was the manufacturer right so that so they never suffered at all through that and during that time star and nrs put the uh, put a factory in vietnam and vietnam is very high on textiles and cutting and i mean it's traditionally you know you buy a nice suit it could be from hong kong or vietnam or whatever so they know Mm -hmm. what, what they're doing right and they know how to measure and they know how to get it right and with nrs's design and stars you know ability to put out a a second product for nrs it benefited both companies so you had good geometry good materials and it put star back on the map as uh hey you are a player again Mm. and uh and they still they still carry some that just has the star brand but the ones you guys used was an nrs star right and uh and that boat boy it can you're not undergunned if you if somebody shows up in the most expensive raft they could ever buy and you show up in that star and you run the exact same waters you're not going to be undergunned you're not going to be underpaced you're gonna it's pretty yeah. surprising value to cost ratios and and, and you know that boat's yeah. rugged yeah very very rugged and it's a 15 footer so it, oh, i mean it's, a little it, it's bit amazing longer. how much it's beefier too how much more space and and storage yeah. you can you know it can it can haul a load yeah, yeah. i yeah. was piloting that one and it like moved great mm. down the river it was impressive you're, you don't know what you're missing t- <laughs> until you get a new one and you're it, like isn't that oh interesting? Yeah. This is, it's really you got to get the geometry right yeah and interestingly northwest river supplies has a lot of companies geometries because as you know, all these different generations of rafts and all the, all the guys that really designed these rafts, let's say it started with surplus boats cut in half and putting it made into double enders all the way up to what we have now. Mm. All these outfitters, these guides, these design guys, the ones that stuck around, NRS bought the majority of mm. those patterns. Mm. And so when you combine that kind of tradition and, you know, that geometry with the newest materials yeah. and all the good valves and on and on and on. And what the 15 does for Alaska that, uh, you know, because let's say if you're in Colorado you, and you needed a big boat, you probably get a 16 or an 18. But you're probably hauling in a truck or a trailer everywhere you go. Never put it in an airplane. Yeah. But a 15 will haul way more than a 14 close enough to the same loadout on frame and oars and all that stuff and uh but now you're drafting much more shallow water with that heavier load and it will swallow what a 14 foot boat takes Mm. and you haven't spent really any more so it's it's just that that real sweet spot yeah and uh and it happens with zodiac type boats you know sport boats too you'll find that uh you know if you get an achilles uh one five six a 15 and a half it'll do almost every single thing any 
dive rescue commercial boat will do. And yet a guy can still pick it up, put it in his own vehicle, get it around. And, yeah. and uh, so there's, there's a sweet spot for 15 foot boats in, in the inflatable industry. Yeah. I felt like that thing was pretty maneuverable. It went right over a lot of thing. Like, you know, normally you're yelling rock, like, okay, we're going to skid, don't fall out of the raft. And it just went right over it. Barely took, I mean, just took it with a load too. We had a pretty heavy load. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I could have gone down Lake Creek in that thing and just missed all the trees and done the thing. Yeah. Campbell Creek, not so much. <laughs> well, well, you, you told me it would haul, it would be, you'd be hauling a load, yeah, and that's yeah. why we settled on the 15. Yeah, right. we, no, and we didn't perfect. know, I think, at the time who would be rowing you know, yeah. the boat, but uh, we knew it would be heavy, and w that river that you were on uh, you know, could give you a lot of looks on volume. So it can yeah. start oh, out yeah. in a shallow creek and... You know, you could end up, you know, with all those boulders in the in the in the rapid oh, covered, yeah. Yeah. and uh, so super versatile. You know, it'll yeah. it'll get through the shallows and and uh, but you know when you need that stability for the big stuff, it it, it really right. does well. Yeah, how's how's the price point on that? So that's that's uh, this kind of kind of goes back into your question of what should you get next, and uh, that's a that's a very likely candidate. Not that you might need a fifteen footer, but but uh, but as far as the do all with good fabrication, good valve you know meaningful warranty uh, good company that's going to stand behind it and nrs is no longer owned by bill parks he uh, he passed away actually i'm gonna say two months ago but he had given the whole company over to all its workers oh, that's mm. cool and i really noticed on the phone in the last oh let's say five six years maybe more than that but uh that everybody is actually now a boater. Everybody mm -hmm. takes their time off and grabs a demo or rental. Nice. And, you know, everybody knows, hey, I've been in this dry suit or I like that life jacket. And it doesn't matter if it's male or female, they're all like into it. And that didn't happen 10, 15 years ago. It was just like, what do you want? What do you want? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cha-ching. Yeah. <laughs> and now, I mean, if you really had questions, like let's say uh, a woman's dry suit. Well, I don't wear women's dry suits. What do I know about the fashion and the fit and all that? But, you know, yeah. hey, woman rep comes on and says, well, you know, I really like this because of this, that, and the other. And I'm like, great. Yeah. What size? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, so... Uh, and as you guys know, when you've been to my shop, it's uh, it's pretty much I I I go into mostly the hard goods. So when you go to my shop, it's not some colorful bungee cord or the next fancy glove or you know what kind of hat you might want to wear on the river. It's always going to be the frames, the you know the the boats, the oar locks, the oars. You know those things Tri that make the trip happen. Yeah, because yeah. my business centers around you know that stuff needing to go mild to wild and. When you buy it from me, you don't have to come back. Somebody has to pretty much steal it, lose it, or you really have to drive it hard or, you know, something. Yeah. So, uh, so. And for people listening, it's Alaska Raft Connection. Yes. Right. And where's the store located? So we're out on Lake Hood. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, we're at 4235 Aircraft Drive. We're right yeah. next to Katmai Air. Okay. And on yeah. the water behind White Wings, and and uh, you know if you if you're kind of familiar with Lake Hood, there's you know the the one that has the most planes on the lake rusts. Yeah. And then there's the museum right there. We're just going hooking around the other end of the lake a little okay. bit. Uh, yeah. But it's but it's great to be there because you know we have so many trips that fly out, whether they're guided, whether they're do it yourself unguided. So many trips fly out, or so many people picking up their people at the airport and say we're going to the Gulcana or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so that it's really handy and then i can get everything to air cargo we also uh do aircraft recoveries 
just got back from a mm. gnarly one actually and um nobody passed away on this one but i would say they were pretty lucky to live yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah. a real mess down there but but doing the aircraft recoveries also helps me stay on aircraft property because you need all the inflatables mm. you need the johnny on the spot let's go yeah get it done and you need the access craft to pull this off so whether it happens right in lake hood i'm the first guy there yeah and um so so it's 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 pretty nice to be able to to mm -hmm. do that and then i do some basic stuff on aircrafts every once in a while so if somebody says they want a a seat in the back of a beaver for the dirtiest fisherman then they can just get out <laughs> in the lake and scrub it off <laughs> you know i'll put i'll put i'll put a raft skin yeah that's, yeah, 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 yeah. that's you know meets all the yeah. flame things and certifications yeah. and california codes and on and on and on mm -hmm. and uh and i've put uh, different coatings on tires and things like that because again you're, you're working with plastics and rubbers and the chemistry's there yeah so uh, that's so, cool yeah it works out i nice. always wondered why like could that so yeah, that's perfect. I live right there too, so you'll be seeing me this week. Yeah. No, it's it's, it's, <laughs> a, it's the dream location. It really oh, is. Oh, that's beautiful yeah. there yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. 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 It works, it works uh, we're gonna well. take a quick break, and I want to come back and get into the um, frames and stuff like that because I've been geeking out on all this stuff. <laughs> Barney's Sports Chalet, supplying hunters and outdoor enthusiasts with the highest quality gear and equipment since they opened their doors in 1963. Barney's carries exclusive brands such as Alpaca Rafts, Sitka Sims, XO Mountain Gear, Hilleberg, and much more. Barney's prides themselves with keeping a huge stock on hand of various top-of-the-line tents, footwear, sleeping bags, optics, cross-country skis, just to name a few. Barney's is also the exclusive retailer of Montana Knives, Seek Outside, Kafaru, Stone Glacier, and their in-house brand, Frontier Gear of Alaska. Barney's has a superior selection of top-rated boots, sleeping bags, dry bags, mountaineering gear, electronics, and accessories. Need freeze-dried food or mountain snacks? They got that too. Barney's now has an amazing new paperback catalog available for in-store pickup or online order. Visit them today at barneysports.com, or even better, stop by the store in Anchorage at 906 West Northern Lights. If you want the best, there's only one name in the game, Barney's Sports Chalet. The Alaska chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. BHA is the voice of our Alaska public lands, waters, and wildlife. From national level policy work to engagement with boots on the ground projects from Kotzebue to Ketchikan. BHA performs public land cleanups, hunting and fishing clinics, and community education to help take your game to the next level. BHA's community-minded goal is to uphold our hunting and fishing legacy while keeping wildlands wild and fostering the next generation of sportsmen and women for years to come. Make sure to follow BHA Alaska for upcoming events, local brewery pint nights, and more. Stand up for Alaska public lands and waters by supporting the Alaska chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Join us today at backcountryhunters.org. The Treehouse AK, your one-stop dispensary located at 341 Boniface Parkway. When you pull up to the Treehouse, you'll notice the beautifully hand-drawn art by Alaska's own Ted Kim. Once you get inside, you're gonna see many of the same people that have been there since they opened. The bud tenders know you and what you like and what new product you should be checking out. The store is super clean and the music's always on point. The Treehouse and local owner Josh Boots is a staple in the cannabis culture through his music, community givebacks, and a lifetime desire to bring the people of Alaska the best products available. The Treehouse always has at least 25 strains available, and they're all shown prominently deli style in clear, openable jars so you can see and smell your options. 
Other products include edibles, concentrates, vape carts, pre-rolls, flour, dab rigs, and anything else you need, they got it. They also have some pretty sick merchandise for sale. Check out thetreehouseak.com, or better yet, stop by the Treehouse today and get started on their loyalty program. Remember, you must be 21 years of age to enter their store. The Treehouse, where the culture lives. All right, we're back. And I didn't introduce the show, so uh, welcome to Alaska Wild Project, episode 129. Today we have Brian Richardson from Alaska Raft Connection. Did I get that right? Yes, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Alaska Raft Connection. Yeah. Um, so um, I wanted to get into the frame stuff because when I bought that raft, um, it comes with that frame that to me in the beginning I thought it was a little bit chintzy. Um, it's cool that you can adjust it and you can... Um, add things to it simply and it has little like little clicks and tabs and it's, but it didn't seem as um, thick or durable or strong as some of the other brands um, as far as the frames go um, so now it was nice because it was light and I could take it apart and it could come apart easy and you could add stuff to it but I was always concerned about the quality of that frame Versus some of the frames that I've seen, like on your on your raft. Mm-hmm. Well, those are good concerns, and and there's really not a good way to sugarcoat it. Those are copies of commercial grade type frames, you know, or high end recreational frames, in the sense that it's copied almost right down to the components, the pipes, all that, but none of them spec or are held to a spec. Mm. And so there are plenty of fittings out there, for example, that are used for other things that would need a specification. Let's say they're used for shelving or scaffolding or whatever. They have to meet some sort of a threshold of, you know, um, different characteristics that make them what they are and, and functional. And, uh, and then there are some that are more architectural type patents, but just really, really decent designs that have stuck around for a long time and uh, do that go mild to wild day in and day out and can be warrantied for life. And then the pipe, the you know, just for practical purposes, I'll just call it pipe. But, uh, you know, there's different pipes that you can get, but the sort of the industry standards that you're going to see in speed rails for commercial use in buildings are usually going to be what's called 6061 T6 aluminum, so it's a, a tempering of T6, okay. a heat treatment of, mm-hmm. the, of the aluminum. And uh, so 6061 is very, uh, you know, <laughs> it's incredibly strong um, in the Schedule 40s that are usually used for frames. So uh, typical standard for, let's say, and it's become the standards for Alaska too, but the standards that you'll see for, you know, Idaho and Montana and, you know, those those areas, um, those are usually inch and a quarter speed rail, which is a Schedule 40, T6, 6061. And um, so the, the, the fittings that would, that would work with that pipe would have to go either on the inner diameter or the outer diameter of that, of that particular pipe. And then there's a Colorado standard, and this has obviously come from Grand Canyon kind of trips mm. with 18-foot boats, and you have to haul... You know, you have to haul the bathroom with you and the fire pit and the, you know, don't right. step on that beach, step on this carpet kind of, kind yeah. of they got to haul a lot of stuff. 
and these are also 30-day trips so lots of food and beverages and you know Mm -hmm. camping gear and people and their baggage and whatnot so you know that's usually going to be inch and a half so it's um you know the 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 actual wall thickness is not that much but difference but the the actual diameter of the pipe is, mm-hmm. is quite a bit bigger and most of that will be an outer diameter fitting and uh, so it's got to fit that inch and a half and so so those those that those straight pieces that you normally going to see whether it's the side rails or the straight crossbars those are usually going to be 60 61 and the longer they are the more you want that 60 61 and that t6 gotcha because what happened if you had a T1 or a T3, it would look very similar. It might be a little different shade. It might, you know, but if I showed you one piece and another piece, you say, oh, yeah, that's the same thing. But not, not quite. Sort of the difference between a good knife that stays sharp mm-hmm. and a knife that bends or snaps or breaks or doesn't hold an edge. It's, mm-hmm. it's, that, yeah. it's that distinctly different. And the other pipe that you will see is 6063 aluminum in that t6 and 6063 has properties where it bends a little easier mm. and it so it doesn't deform or frost or crack when it bends so the leading pipe that you're going to find in anchorage because not a huge population of rafters here um, you're going to see 6063 t6 because they want to make a neat railing to go mm. wherever it goes yeah. and when somebody's hand is on it you don't want to feel that funny frosting or kinking or anything mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. so so the, but both of those pipes for the most boats that are probably sold in alaska work perfectly well all their strength thresholds are are awesome what the frame that came on that boat um as a package is they're trying to copy every detail the problem is and this is <laughs> this is not sugarcoating it so sorry about this but uh but it's recycled beer cans. Mm. Mm. It's what it is. And, you know, what is a recycled beer can? You know, what, what's in it? You know, I mean, what, what impurities are in there? What thresholds does it have to meet? So the, so the pipe has, it, has its issues. But it might be in a certain given size good enough and look good enough and function well enough for the vast majority of people. Yeah. But if you took that into six mile routinely... It wouldn't make it. Mm. And, uh, and the same with the fittings. So the fittings are outer diameter fittings. Yep. Nothing wrong with outer diameter fittings. But, again, if that metallurgy, that, the ingredients in that, mm. uh, you don't know what they are. That's a mystery, mm-hmm. mystery alloy. Mm. And, and we're not talking like good tent poles from a North Face tent. Because guess what? That's 6061 or 7000 series or seven, you know, mm-hmm. it's known what those properties are. But those fittings on your boat look the same, but of unknown properties. And so then you go to your Orlocks, and your Orlock is going to look like some bronze Orlock. Mm-hmm. However, it's probably missing a lot of manganese and some of the other ingredients in a good Orlock. So if you flipped your boat over and it hit a rock, your orlock could shear right off like like a brick breaking by mm. comparison to another one that might bend but still kind of get you through yeah mm-hmm. and same with the ore stands the ore stands as you know are basically derivatives of those pipe fittings and yep. then a pipe sticking up mm. so you put that whole thing together again you know you, you're probably going to be okay 
but when you really push it into a, a certain environment or have a tip or a flip or with a full load you're gonna wipe the frame right off that boat yeah i would say that going into it when i first bought it um thinking this is an intro boat mm-hmm. you know what i mean and it's been great for that it's been great for what we've done um, but as you go and you go on these trips, you eye other boats and you're like, oh, that looks like it's a little better than mine. You know, that looks like this is different. This is different. So I didn't go into purchasing that raft thinking, oh, this is the the best thing you can get out yeah. there. But for as far as like the price and what I got out of it. As a package deal, oh, you, yeah. you did great. Yeah. You did yeah. great. And yeah. even if yeah. I have to like trash that whole thing and go to something else, I feel as if. I got my money's worth yeah. out of it because I use yeah. that thing oh, yeah. a lot, yeah. you know. And For in this case, the years. frame has outlasted your boat. Yes. Yeah. And, that, I mean, what more could you ask for, really? Yeah. 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 I mean, flipping it over and rubbing it on rocks is pretty much the only thing he hasn't done in that boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So far. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. But it's, 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 kinda, it's pretty wild uh, how all that stuff works. And, and you can see plastics, too, like, uh, you know, good good oars, the blades. Oh, yeah. You know, I encourage, I encourage people in doubt, put your blade in a freezer. and then pull the cheap blade out and the expensive blade out and hammer them on the workbench as hard as you can gavel down one will shatter and the other be you're the one going the other direction Mm, yeah it's it's pretty amazing how how uh, some of these plastomers are are better just like the metallurgy yeah Um, no i i think uh you know if, if you you know if the frame is still running well and the boat that you have is you know the seams are going and you decide to walk away from the boat you might consider a boat of similar size and trying to take that investment from the frame and carrying it further Mm-hmm. Based on what you do, you haven't had a problem yet. It's yeah. not to say you won't, but chances are you've field tested it enough yeah. that what's going to happen is going to happen. Yeah. Unless you really, you know, start, you know, going into different environments and yeah. you know these kinds of things. Well, unless so. you went to like a fifteen footer, then you'd probably have to upgrade the. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You're gonna do a second deck if you have a 15. Oh yeah. Maybe yeah. just do the table and then the second and deck. The second on like, top. Like theater seating on yeah. the back. <laughs> He's just got like three rows. So there's just fishers. Fisherman chair. The top. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. spotter. Or the spotter. Put yeah. the rack on the front. You know, just double, just looking at each other. Yeah. That's I, I mean, I think as go. far as like someone that's trying to get into it, like I wanted to upgrade. Why? Basically, my story is I went from the one man to I went to uh, um, a cataract which was great but then i had a kid and i was like well i can't have the kid i need a i need a, a floor there so the kid can yeah. be you know safe and so i went and got that raft which i got a hell of a deal on it you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying obviously it was a great deal yeah. and i feel like it as far as an intro boat and someone that's trying to get into it and you're not sure if this is going to be your thing yeah. it's not a bad purchase but then no. as you go and do more extreme trips and you're doing moose things and you're hauling moose meat and you're doing all this mm-hmm. heavy duty stuff then you're like, okay, well, you don't want to risk your life and your family or whoever your hunt parties are with yeah. with some subpar, you know, materials when you could get something better. Yep. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. in the grand scheme of things, when you when you look at, let's say you do a fly out moose hunt, oh, yeah. and let's say you are going, you know, two hour flight out, so that means they're two hours out and two hours back, and then they come get you. Maybe yeah. the river's vectoring even away from that two hours, so right. now it's uh, you know yeah. even more. I mean that that becomes the price of your boat 
uh, not necessarily framing the oars and everything else, but that becomes the price of your boat pretty fast on yeah. one oh, yeah. on one outing. Hauling a moose down the Yukon and braided mm. and crazy, and the river yeah goes up. Well, to yeah, and I, I mean I don't want to discourage because I know a lot of people that have this same style raft. There's people in our group that have the yeah. same style raft, and oh, it's sure. been it's been great. It's been great for them, and so I don't want to like really talk too negative about it. But it's great to get the insight of the actual materials and what the differences are because you start looking at these other rafts and you're like, why does that one cost, you know, three <laughs> yeah. times as much as the right. one I got, you know? And, and sometimes some of that cost is just a, a name brand recognition thing. It really, it really is. And sometimes those boats are something that really almost no one needs, mm. you know? So, uh, no, you did, I think you did really well at, and I wouldn't even call it an entry boat. I would call it a very, you know, high value to cost boat, that you really can do a lot of things with and uh and reliably with yeah and what what tends to happen though it's the little things that creep up on you that you're not seeing like those seams and then let's just say that happened out in the middle of nowhere on a mm -hmm. moose hunt on a fly out your trip just doubled oh yeah <laughs> you know so yeah. And, yeah. And, and it's either doubling to get you out of there or tripling if you had to helicopter stuff out, um, you know, but it's certainly doubling. So, you know, hey, who are we going to call, you know, get another boat out here, you know, and and, yeah. and and still the flight to get there and get the boat out and, you know, yeah. on and on and on. And then, the, I mean, the weight of it and then the, um, like you were saying, the geometry, because I would notice that my boat would not handle as well as some of other people's boats. And so I never even thought about the geometry of it or... You know why your guys's tube was like way bigger than mine was oh, and yeah. i'm like well, what's just what's the differences yeah, yeah geometry is everything and uh i know when jack got his boat and i think it was orange at the yeah it it's orange, orange yeah and uh i couldn't remember this year exactly what it was but i knew it was a d series or the yeah. double d series and yeah. and uh and i've always liked an e series which you know those are all different geometries and so mm. so uh you know, your boat's made by Air. It's a U.S. manufacturer. Um, had a lot of um, a lot of know-how going into it before it ever even started that company. From working for all these other companies, so they one of the things Air does really well is geometry. Mm. And so they, you, if you have a certain character of river and certain load, or you know, certain passion for how you paddle or row or whatever, they they've got the answer. And um, and pretty surprising, really. Um, now they are expensive boats, but when you think about that geometry and what you're doing, let's say it's steep creaking and boulder dodging and all that, you know, getting those geometries makes all the difference in the world because now you're working with the river easier. You're not getting exhausted. You know, all of these kind of, your timing is going to be better. I mean, it's like driving a really good car or a truck mm. compared to like, whoops, we're going back to the 70s, you know, got you <laughs> yeah. where you wanted to go, but yeah. this truck rattles, it makes noise, and it, you know, spits out fumes. And, and it doesn't have power steering. Yeah, yeah on and on and on. <laughs> and, and, and we so call that the we plow need truck. That. <laughs> <laughs> Who's driving the plow truck? <laughs> so, so, yeah, the geometry is everything, and then, uh, and then materials can be uh, everything too. And that's not to say that all the materials don't have their attributes yeah but uh, but certain materials are going to handle better than others going to be slicker than others and those do come at a at a cost yeah um, so what would you say like the life is on an air boat um you know the 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 cool thing about an air is 
that its outer skin doesn't have to hold any air right. at all. And so there are different generations of different fabrics that they've used. You know, you could, and you can even actually select two different fabrics today. Um, but uh, the, the cool thing with air, they figured out from working with all these other high-end brands and, uh, and, and in my, my guide service and my rental program, and we've got 38 boats in the rental program, that, so it's, you know, shepherding oh, wow. this all the time, too. And, and, and they're turning and burning, going mild to wild all the time, all, you know, basically from June till the end of September. So lots of different rivers, lots of different environments, oh. lots of mileage. I have no idea if it's an absolute beginner at the oars that hits everything or up to somebody that's super experienced and biting off maybe more than they can chew sometimes and, mm. and need that, need, need the best they can they can be in but what happens with a lot of boats is you get this cumulative effect of leaking by little scratches and little pinholes and little so these aren't pinholes that you hear whistling at you or you get near them and you go oh there's a leak there and it's not a rip or a tear what it is is just this cumulative effect is if you know maybe one scratch on the table you don't care about but if you got 900 of them nobody wants the table anymore right and yeah. so so that's what happens with most even the highest end boats is those little mm. scratches and things will drive you nuts but air uses an unsupported bladder inside so there's no scrim there's no nothing it's a welded bag basically mm. inside this giant zipper duffel of cool geometry and so you can scratch and dent the heck out of it. You could even cut the whole side as long as you didn't compromise the, the actual bag inside. Wow. Uh, it's a, literally a clear bag. Looks like you just put a vacuum pack meal in there, you know, with no meal and mm-hmm. blew, blew up your boat. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so the, the cool thing is, is that if you maintain your zippers, the stitching stays okay. You don't set your, you know, sights on, uh, you know, I blew my boat up in 30 degrees and now it's 90 on a beach and I just <laughs> left it, yeah. you know, um, those, those kinds of things, uh, because that bag will expand and it is captive in a static environment. So well, that's what happened to the little guy. Oh, right. That little guy, the little guy, that's exactly what happened to it. I yeah, think it, it just was been cold and rainy and I had that thing fully ready to go. Mm. Got hot oh, this past yeah. weekend. Yeah. And it just... Boom. Damn. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've woken up on the Gold Cannon and it's 34 degrees and gone all the way up to, you know, 85 degrees. Yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah. you know, it's just things you don't think about. Sure, sure. So, for that air, could you actually pull that bladder out of the tube, throw another one in? and Yes, you could do that. If and, you had and, that complete And because tear. it's an unsupported material going in a skin, you tend to tape a lot of those issues. And mm-hmm. if it was a massive thing, you could actually twist it like the top of a garbage bag, bend it over, zip tie it, stick it back in there, and it'd get you down the river. <laughs> what? So oh, if wow. it was like super duper cold and mm-hmm. nothing was sticking and mm-hmm. the chips were really down and you're, yeah. it's getting dark and you go, I'm in the middle of a canyon here, I got to get down to where I can camp someplace. Yeah. You know, uh, been, wow. there, been there, done that. You know, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty cool. But uh, you asked me how long an air can last. Uh, if you keep your air in good shape, um, again, different materials over different time, but uh, but I'm still you you could get into some '96, '97 boats that I still run for myself mostly. But mm-hmm. sometimes I go out on moose hunts right. and I use them a lot for aircraft recovery. Mm. Um, and uh, and they're from '96, '97, and you'd get in it and you'd say, "Does this two years? Did you buy this two years ago?" Yeah, <laughs> mm. yeah. 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 So. Well, let's get into um, kind of like um, 
main not i wouldn't say maintenance well maybe maintenance and like obviously we have a long winter here and i've always rolled mine up i know some guys who don't and they just kind of leave that thing on the trailer you know uninflated mm. um what is the proper care for taking care of your raft to get some longevity out of it yeah yeah so you know i, I have a lot of different rafts for different, you know different purposes different sizes and uh, so I have SOTAR rafts, which are all urethane, no bladders in them. That's more of a mil-spec type material. Mm -hmm. That's the stuff you might see on, uh, you know, literally boats that go to war, like on rib collars and, and things like that. So yeah. this, this is really stout stuff. And, um, and then I have the airs, you know, different generations, different materials. I've got those uh, NRS stars. And... Um, and we have, you know, a couple different types of, of, you know, different different brands and different materials. Um, we don't tend to run a lot of rubber boats. And it's not that I have anything against rubber boats. I started my career in rubber boats. The thing is, if you're going to be turning week in, week out <laughs> boats, a rubber boat is you're always going to uh, be dealing with more repair type issues that take longer. Mm. And uh, plastics are cool that way because you're, you're dealing mostly with chemistry and quicker cure times and, and things yeah. like that. Where rubber, you're always mechanically repairing them. You're sanding them. And then you're, you know, you're, doing, you're just doing more. And, and also rubber tends to grab things on the river bottom. It's not as slippery. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, you're going you're gonna to find people with a heavy load or overloaded sticking to a rock a little more <laughs> and then possibly doing some damage there or getting it in and out of stairways on airplanes, which they're all sharp. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if they, if they bring it in in a perfect roll, like a big hay bale, and it looks great and it goes in the plane. That's but, almost impossible. But sometimes <laughs> yeah, they don't do that in the field coming back, and it comes in like <laughs> yeah. a giant inchworm, and one yeah. guy's yeah. towing it up in, and the other guys are all pushing it from behind. And the next thing you know, it's caught on the stair, and nobody cares. And uh, it's so, like every tent sleeping pad ever. It's like, oh, this doesn't, never goes back in this bag. <laughs> Design this bag. Exactly. But rubber does yeah. have, if, if you were just doing nothing but Arctic trips, Rubber does have some attributes there because it's going to roll and fold easier in the cold. Mm, yeah, totally. Where those stiffer plastics are going to be tougher and tougher. And there's a, there's a couple just premier brands of rafts we really can't use in Alaska because you just can't fold them. You can't roll them. They won't go back in the airplane on a cold day. Yeah. If it's a hot day like today and it's just beating down on the boat, like you got a fighting chance of getting in a nice tight roll. Yeah. But if it's a cold day in the Arctic after a caribou or moose hunt, <laughs> it's coming back like just a behemoth, and now you got an extra flight. Yeah. And so... Which uh, <laughs> so isn't cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. yeah but repair-wise, uh, you know, we, we like the plastics just because it's strictly chemistry at that point, and, you know, paying attention to those kinds of things. Uh, and it's going to be easier to explain that to, to somebody in the field, too. Like, look, you're not out there sanding. You're not out there doing all these crazy things. It's like, no, here's your industrial solvent. Here's your adhesives. These are the, these are the ways to go. And, yeah. uh, you know, if you can trace and, you know, paint glue between the lines, you're, you're going to get down with a plastic boat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So obviously you should put it away in the winter. Yeah, so this, this is what I was going to get into after that. So there's different procedures for different boats. But in most cases, what I do, trip in, trip out, short term. So this is turning each week or 10 days or whatever. What I will always do is I will get a vacuum clean. Uh, well, I'll clean everything. I'll soap check it too. So I'll make sure okay. that, that, that it is tidy and it is inspected, ready to go, perfect. 
you know, uh, then I'll let it dry if I have the opportunity to let mm-hmm. it dry. You know, if it's in the middle of summer and it comes back from a wet trip and I've washed it, soap checked and all that, it doesn't necessarily have to hit the river again, bone dry. But, uh, but clean is, is absolutely key. That helps you discover what's going on with this boat over time. That's that's your first maintenance skill set is making sure that it is clean after every use. And that even goes for on the river. A clean boat is a safe boat. So rinse it out every night. There shouldn't be the potato chips or the beef jerky or the, you know, nuts, twigs, and raisin mix or, you know, whatever whatever you got going on there. 17 beer cans. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's um, because that all attracts squirrels, right? And that all right? <laughs> <laughs> do you have yeah. tricks for the stitching? So, yeah, I, I do, and we'll get to that on the, okay. on the, on the airboats because that's kind of a facet all alone for, that, for them. But, uh, but, you know, keeping a boat clean and inspected and maintained is, is key. Then what I'll do is I'll vacuum all the air out. Mm-hmm. I'll just, you know, you know, this yeah, thing yeah, is just yeah. absolutely sucked yeah. completely yeah. Out, out, you know. it's uh, And then I go ahead and have the valves closed so there's no suspension on that spring. So it's, it's, it's as if you, uh, y- you know, if, if you keep the valves open and locked open, that's, that spring is like your truck suspension loaded mm. down all the time. Right. Ah. But, if, but if you vacuum all that air out, most likely you've gotten a lot of the humidity out. Mm-hmm. You've gotten all the air out. You've probably got any kind of water that could have ingressed in there somehow or another. Yeah. Yeah. So, you you know, you're getting rid of a lot of that microclimate that, uh, you know, that greenhouse effect that could be Mm -hmm. going on in Mm -hmm. there, molds, mildews, on and on and on. So then I cap it. And the reason I cap it is that's extra redundancy. Mm-hmm. And the caps when I roll it aren't just getting rolled all over the place or cracked and you know mismanaged. And then I will uh, go ahead and fold it, and I'll fold it in thirds. Okay. Yeah. And lengthwise. Then, yeah, lengthwise. Okay. Yeah. So I'll fold it in thirds first, and then I will in that in that capacity because I've vacuumed that boat out. I will start at the floor valve end, and I will go to the other end. And what that's doing is that's rolling that floor valve in so it can't die cut when it's, when it's deflated. If you're dragging it or it goes into an airplane or it's bouncing around in a truck, ah. it, the, you know, the valve is plastic and it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's, and many valves are different. So some, I don't know if there's anything in this. No, there's, you can use that. So some, some valves, when they're inside the boat, are you know, this shape and they're, and they're down. Mm-hmm. So if that's against the material and that's the outer part of your roll Mm -hmm. and it goes here Mm. it's gonna die cut a perfectly circular hole yeah vibrating on planes and everything yep and then some valves have sort of an ice cream cone like look on the inside and that does a lot less but it does create a point a little domed point Mm. so you'll see that it won't die cut but it will rub on that point you'll get you get that smaller surface area and that point load yeah and it it will do the same thing so so i in this in this capacity when i have the option i will start at that floor valve in and i will uh, once i've got it in thirds then i'll roll it and there's a mixed martial art depending on the day and (laughs) how how you're feeling But uh, but one come of on, kid, jump on that side. But I do. Bows into it, yeah. But I do dedicate a strap that's different from the whole rest of the kit, and that will usually be an inch and a half strap, like you know, typical belt, belt size. size. Okay. And most of the rafts get get it done in about an eight or a nine footer. You don't need like a twenty footer and then a tail that you're tripping over. Mm. And uh, but sometimes to get it to that roll by yourself, what's happening is that those thirds are trying to. 
come up, yeah. So normally you're going to have some cargo straps on that trip, not just the ones that hold your frame to the boat or the extra oar up to the frame. You're going to have some six-footers in there. Yeah. And for the boat, like you're talking, you know, that size, you can take a six-footer and just, just, you know, not even a third of the way back of that other side that you're trying to work towards, go ahead and strap it and keep that buckle just to the outside so you can access it again. Gotcha. Because when you're by yourself, I mean, how often it's like, hey, guys, we're out here, the flight's gone, all the thing, and you're out there, yeah. the last guy. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so if you, could, if you could work smarter, like when I was younger, I wouldn't care. I'd just get on, I'd put my knees on one side and, yeah. you know, get her done, and, you know, gorilla will take it out to the airplane. You know, great. But, yeah. you know, as you get older, uh, it, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, what's that Toby Keith song? You know, as good as I once was. That's a reality when you start rolling boat after boat after oh, boat God. and you're in a hurry and, you know, trying to be detailed. So putting that strap on, you can get it in there and then everything's strapped on. If, if you want to get out of the field and leave that strap on, take it off later, that's fine. But most of the time, I will take that off because I'll put I'll rack it with the rest of them. And, gotcha. And, but that's the that's the way you store it. Okay. Did you say the valve is is closed? All the valves are closed and okay. caps are on and, and it's vacuum packed. Okay. So that's how I will also put them away. Okay. So every single time, like good habits on the river, you know, once those habits kick in, it's just second yeah. nature. Yeah. And uh, the people, honestly, that store them inflated. You know, I mean, if you've got the space and you don't care much and you're kind of like, eh, whatever, you can go ahead and do it. I mean, that's but, a lot of space. But never yeah. put it on a trailer outside in Alaska all winter. Yeah. Then yeah. you're coming to see me in the repair shop a lot more often. Yeah. And you could have catastrophic issues because freeze-thaw issues are horrible for every component on fabrication mm-hmm. oh, on I your bet. boat. Mm-hmm. So when you say soap check, are you spraying the thing down with soapy water to check it or are you washing it down so with soapy water so, and then kind of looking at it as it glistens? So what it? I'll do is I'll wash it so that I'm not looking at, you know, a bug or a stick or a rock or right. you know mud on the side of the river that you know that's that's in False that boat kind of thing, yeah. and so because suds will stick to that right so i can't see that but uh what i'll do is um you know i i recommend to pretty much everybody get you know sort of a, a ghostbuster backpack if you've got a bigger boat mm-hmm. that is a, a plant sprayer you know oh, there you go. Yeah. and you fill that with a heavy duty bunch of dawn Dishwashing, but not flavor of the month. So you know, just the the dawn blue dawn with a duck. Yes, and make say, it yeah. look like blue Gatorade, though. Okay, <laughs> really yeah, yeah. Pump it up and wander around the boat and just like you're spraying weeds. And what that will do is is create a very very fine mist. Because if you're just trying to bub, you know, scrub a dub bubble, right, yeah. then it's hard to see the bubble that you might be looking for. Oh, yeah. And the lighter the boat, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. a white bubble. boat and a white bubble yeah. are hard to find. <laughs> yeah. So is there? So do you stay away from all the other soaps for various reasons, or just Dawn's the one uh, you got? That's the one I use the most routinely because it just it's it's not an invasive chemical. It doesn't smell. It doesn't. Gotcha. You know, it's <laughs> if I've got a little bit of runoff here and there, is you know. It's, it's it's about right. the safest soap mm-hmm. that you're going to use, okay. and uh, and you don't want that flavor of the month stuff because <laughs> yeah. if your boat smells like a rose, well, uh, you know there's or a berry Bears coming exactly. Mm. Something's really really yeah. curious about yeah. that. Yeah. You know the the Irish Spring only works yeah. so long. You can't do that. I heard yeah. mosquitoes yeah. and the Irish love that. Yeah, smell but the Irish, well. yeah, 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 they just come running out of the woods. <laughs> right. So yeah, this the, but the soaping uh, is is important because uh, you put that 
nice thin film and you walk away from your boat now if you can't do this on a hot sunny day with the sun beating down or that just yeah. flashes off you can't see okay. it but you you walk away and the reason you walk away is that's going to give you the detail Mm. of what's a little foamer what's a little bubbler is that a scratch is that a dent is that a whatever and uh you know you'd be surprised how many boat shops do not do that at all and the oh, boat yeah. comes back to me and they go well those guys couldn't find anything well i got 12 of them right here you want to see them yeah you know and I'll, <laughs> and I'll pull out my phone and show them you know facetiming it kind of a thing is like look at this and uh and the higher the pressure the more you're going to see that. Yeah. So the other the other thing when you're inspecting a boat, don't be afraid. Like in your boat, you could take it up to three psi mm-hmm. easily. You might not use it on the river at three psi, but even if you've inflated it going to the Kenai at three psi and stuck it in the Kenai River, it's not three psi anymore. No way. And uh, but you might not leave it on your trailer on a hot day at three psi, or it could get quite a bit of percentage more depending, you know, on on, on the hot day, or you drive over a mountain pass. Mm. you know all those yeah. all those kinds of things but don't be afraid to put pressure in those kinds of boats to do an inspection and you bring that boat up to shape first then you really top it off with minimal deflection so it's firm and then go ahead and do it because otherwise mm. you're missing things that, right. that aren't going to show up at a pound and a half but certainly will show up at three gotcha um, we got a lot of altitude here too. I remember you fill up those things when they first came out for your neck on the plane, and then like you'd have it nice and comfy. You'd wake up at like twenty five, thirty thousand feet, like someone's choking. You. You'd like, What's going on? Like deflate, deflate. Like. But you just don't realize it until it's in action. You know, sure, like, man. Sure. Well, most boats can take, you know, probably twenty to forty percent more pressure. Believe it or not, as long as you're yeah. not on the river mm. and hit a log or yeah, you know things like yeah. that and then some boats even have compensating valves where you know it'll it'll actually have pressure relief and yeah. a mm-hmm. lot of floors have yeah that. the floors yeah because your floors are very low pressure in some some cases and then you know on that boat that you guys use that's a high pressure floor so okay. you're looking at low volume high pressure on the tubes you're looking at you know uh, high volume and pretty low pressures yeah really yeah so um, nice how how did you get into all this? <laughs> so, we didn't even get to the, the history here. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so uh, I grew up uh, on the mountainside south of Anchorage, and it was back in the days when uh, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, Rabbit Creek Road was still a dirt road, oh, yeah. and all the all the roads pretty much off into the woods were <laughs> a little better than Jeep trails, I suppose, but not not much, you know, single laner, you know, gravel roads with frost eaves and whatnot and uh so we we grew up in a place called paradise valley and uh i don't even know if no, people living there know i was called paradise valley and there's so many houses out there i don't know if you'd ever yeah. uh, but but paradise valley is opposite the potter valley so if you look at you know you're looking up the mountains from anchorage you you see rabbit creek coming down McHugh. Mm-hmm. And the other creek that comes off the backside of McHugh is McHugh Creek that comes down on the Seward Highway. Well, the, the in-betweener is Potter Creek that feeds Potter Marsh. Mm-hmm. So the Potter Valley is considered the sort of the marsh side, and Paradise Valley is considered the other side. Gotcha. And then above that, there's the airstrip, and then on up, uh, oh, yeah. you know. And they were, all, they were all homesteads back then. And the old-timers were still, still kicking and still doing that kind of stuff. Um, and so slowly they were subdividing their lands. And uh, 
nobody would build a house out there even at the time. <laughs> and so my dad found a Latvian builder that said, I can do it. And uh, so we built our house back in there, and sort of the rest is history. And mm -hmm. we, you know, grew up on the mountainside doing whatever I wanted to do. You know, I mean, it was just the backyard huh. just kept going. And, yeah. and so mom would literally find me just looking, making sure I didn't burn the entire hillside down. You know, <laughs> oh, Daniel Boone's out there with a the campfire again, you know, uh, roasting yeah. a squirrel or something. Yeah. And uh, so I always grew up having fun out there. One day I was Daniel Boone. The next day I was Davy Crackett. It depends yeah. on, you know, what, what you know, <laughs> what was going on. Yeah. And uh, so it was just an awesome place to, to grow up. And... Uh, so eventually, a, an Austrian guide uh, moved up there, and this Austrian guide, his name was Sepp Weber, and he was one of the guys that really started re-pioneering a lot of these rivers in Alaska that had never been run. And uh, he wrote a book, Wild Rivers of Alaska, and how he got here is, you know, we're going back to the Gary King story. So Gary King, um, you know, his, his big ski shop, and... Uh, well, he needed somebody for a ski school because he was trying to sell skis and rent skis and on and on and on. And so Arctic Valley had a Gary King shop. Girdwood had a Gary King shop. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and of course, the one in town. So you know, if you're going to sell more skis, you need more skiers. Yeah. And so he went to Europe and said, we need a European ski instructor here. And Sepp happened to be a mountaineering and skiing instructor and moved him to Girdwood. And, <laughs> uh, and then course in the summer sep was like you know i've been kayaking and doing all these adventures and sep sep's about 90 something now so he went you know he went oh, through man. world war ii in austria mm, and wow. you know after the war every every man was down and depressed and no work and no money and so the young kids were just kind of all sharing a van and said let's yeah. You know, let's go to these other countries and, you know, go boating and go exploring and go mountaineering and hiking. So that was, that's, uh, that's how he, you know, how he had his skill set and comfort zone. I mean, stuff like kayaking the Sea of Japan when there were no kayaks, yeah. you know, I mean, just, yeah. just amazing, amazing stuff, you know. Uh, and so when he, when he came to Alaska, though, he, he needed something, obviously, to do in the summertime. Couldn't ski instruct all year long. And uh, so he started a guide service. Mm. And it was called Alieska Wilderness Guides. Oh, and yeah, uh, he started out with kayaks, hard-shelled kayaks, that he would, because he couldn't put them in the plane. Like, all the kayaks were big <laughs> back then. Yeah. Yeah. So he would cut them in half and then cut them in half again, and he'd stack them all like eggshells. And he would stick them in a plane, and he would, you know, he would fly out a day or two early and refiberglass all these things. Oh, my God. And then the customers would show up. And back then, it, nobody was just flying the average bush plane. I mean, these were grum and gooses and you know, whatever yeah. people had, you know. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, where do you want to go? <laughs> you know, what kind of river do you want to do? <laughs> yeah. And so he would spend this day. Well, he realized that uh, most people, he, he couldn't guarantee that they could kayak. Yeah, and yeah. a multi-day river could have easy stretches and hard stretches, and you had to haul your load with you. And so, not everybody had an Eskimo roll, and you know, you yeah. you pretty much fiberglassed yourself out. So, how are you going to repair them now? So, mm -hmm. so a lot, and then you got to tear them apart again just to get them back. So, a lot of downtime. Oh, wow. in, in mm -hmm. the so then he started with kleppers, which were. Uh, kleppers yeah kleppers were a folding kayak oh yeah i've seen and those. they're very expensive actually yeah. if you find old they fold taco stuff yeah. 
So, no, they're all ribbed, wooden ribs. Okay. And they have a canvas top and a hypalon rubber bottom. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so anybody that's, you know, kind of into the classic kayak yes yeah knows the german klepper because these were known for you know all over the world to do incredible adventures yeah man freddie has one yeah they're they're remarkable boats really i mean when okay you, here's an image i pulled up here when you put there's, one together there, you're like oh my god what am i getting into but uh yeah they're very very capable boat that's them right there yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. And so, uh, so they are. They all have wooden ribs in them. So you have to build the ribs, and you know, it's basically a skin boat. Yeah, yeah. And wow. uh, so, of course, the thing is, he had these multi-day loads and these multi-pallers. Now he could get them in the airplane. They were heavy and bulky, but they were packable. Yeah. The problem is, you go over gravel and rocks with your load in there. You, it's like a drum skin. You just rip them out. <laughs> yeah. So he, you know, sewing and duct tape finally got old, you know? And, yeah, yeah. And so there was a tire company in, uh, in West Germany at the time called Metzler. And they still make, like, high-end, you know, motorcycle tires is what they're kind of made up for. But over in Europe, they're, like, big tractor tires. I mean, they're, like, they're the Goodyear of West Germany kind of a, kind of a thing. And uh, so they put out a, a synthetic rubber boat on the outside but a natural rubber boat on the inside. And they vulcanized it just like putting tire tread on a tire. So it's not glued or anything. Mm -hmm. So way stronger than glue, but way more complex should you have a problem because you can't glue it. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, But he had these Metzlers, and they had a little fiberglass cockpit. So now he rolled the boat up, and the fiberglass cockpits could be sewn in. Mm-hmm. And uh, and actually, uh, it, you know, it's it, when you think about it, it's just incredibly. And you know, it's I beam floor on it. The floor, the whole boat looks just like the floor on your raft, okay. except it's vulcanized rubber. It had to be natural rubber on the inside. Yeah, and uh, and it was fully decked, so it was really cool. I mean, even on today's level of things. It's incredibly innovative, and the geometry is amazing. Yeah. Probably way before its time. Uh, way before its yeah. time. And they had weird tests where they would, because it was a tire factory, so they would test them, and they'd have a piston that would push it in the water and go, yep, it holds air. <laughs> Nobody does that now. They yeah. just go, oh, does it hold air for 48 hours, 72 right, hours? Right. Great, yeah. send it out. Yeah. So, I mean, these, these were... Yeah. Do you think we could find that on Google? Um, the Metzler? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And most of them were orange, and a few of them were sort of OD green. And uh, But but the, the kayak that I grew up in was called a Metzler Spezi, spelled S-P-E-Z-I-L, which is meant the large. Huh. And my head would just barely stick out of the cockpit. You know, I'd be <laughs> yeah, like yeah, rubber That's a raft. <laughs> that's so funny. That's crazy. You can see the ribs and the lines on that one. It's like there's not a lot to it. Yeah, you wouldn't uh, roll it out, put it on. Okay, so these are these are Metzler rafts. All right, and uh, and then if you uh, if you looked at the kayaks, you would find the similar. Oh, similar they were kayaks. Similar. Okay, my bad. Yeah, yeah, because rafting these rivers was not quite practical yet. You know, not not enough people were doing it. Most Americans weren't going out there at all. Yeah, and uh, it got like the big rubber nose ones. Now, interestingly, this one here in the center is Grabner, and that's where the patent finally went to Austria. And this... Yeah, that's... The that's a Gary King one. That was a copy of it because ah. he has so many European customers. Wow. Yeah. And right. so, uh, but 
but the copy was interesting because it was PVC, not <laughs> vulcanized, and they'd all fall apart very, very quickly. Yeah. There was a few things lo- lost in uh, translation there. But uh, Good thing wow. they were just doing Campbell Creek. Those are right? cool. So, yeah, they, they, they were very, very cool boats. And uh, so now he had a roll-up option that was sturdy that if somebody did rip one, he just put a patch on it and, and away you go. Yeah. But the problem cool. that he faced was that... Uh, you still kind of needed a kayak. You were limited on gear, so you weren't really going to take steak and eggs on this trip. And he's like, how do I put more people in a boat? Yeah. And so that's when the double-ending raft. And double-ending rafts were kind of just getting going, too. And so that's when all the Avon rafts started going. Mm. And they were bucket boats. They didn't self-bail. You had to. Uh, right. Mm. And, uh, and they're, believe it or not. A few of those boats still in the water. From oh, the really? They have incredible longevity. Wow. And, uh, and so, uh, so that's actually, uh, I, I ended up um, working for him uh, uh, when I was 14 as an apprentice, you know, boatman. And so I would start the days by obviously loading bush planes. I would, you know, back then they just stuffed you in the bush plane on top of the gear. He's small enough. He's athletic enough. Get him in the bed. No seat belts. No nothing. They're just laying, laying up against the, the, the ceiling, <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, you know, yeah. head, head facing the tail, and you just fall asleep. But then I would, uh, you know, uh, haul, haul people and gear down the river. And then at the end of the day, it was kind of, uh, you know, help, help clean and cook and take out the garbage, you know, yeah. the, the apprentice, the typical boatman apprentice right, right. kind of thing. So I started when I was 14 and I was doing like Talshalitna and mm. Lake Creek, you know, a lot of back-to-back rivers that I got to know. But what's cool is he, uh, you know, he was one of those guys, you know, you got to go out and learn, you got to go out and figure it out for yourself, you know, and, and, uh, and, it was it was cool that he just gave me that latitude to you know because when you're 14 15 you think you know it all right mm-hmm. so, you, so that confidence is high at yeah. 14 15 yeah. but you don't know anything yet yeah. but but you are you know athletic and you do recover quickly and you you learn quickly you still swim to shore fast <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so so the beauty of it just is that pretty much just gave me that. a lot of latitude with guides that uh, you know also said hey you're the boatman you know and you know it was to the point even 15 16 years old let's okay there's the big rapid flip a coin who's going (laughs) and uh you know so it was it was great that he gave me those experiences early on and they really stuck because uh that's when my ski racing career started to really take off so now i had you know the summer and the the winter programs and yeah and gosh i'm still i'm still doing it you know it's uh you know, obviously a little different than, than just grinding your way down the river anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'd love to be guiding every single week, but, you know, times have changed, too. Um, so, you know, I had to diversify to have the rental program and uh, the repair program and, you know, do some of the instructional sorts of things. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so, yeah, it's just kind of evolved from apprentice years to full-on guiding everything to now the diversification of where we're at now. When did you leave and start Alaska Raft Connection? So I started that after I graduated college. So I uh, started that in 93. All right. Wow. And, 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 you know, you've been in my parking lot. You probably wonder, like, why is there a 93 F-350 oh, here yeah. and a 93 Dakota in here? 
Because there's like thousands. Because that's parts. when it all started. <laughs> yeah. That's when it all started. Yeah. And uh, so that purple truck is my '86 high school oh, truck. Yeah. Nice. And uh, that's kind of what I got got everything going with. And and uh, so it's it's funny. Mm. It's like I just rotate those trucks around, and everybody gives me a rough time. Like Brian, are you, gonna, are you ever gonna get you know join the <laughs> modern world no. here? I was like, no, these these trucks <laughs> seem to work still. And but uh, but yeah, started at '93, and it was. Gosh, the heydays in the 80s and the, and the 90s were just fantastic guiding years. And, you know, you could go down Lake Creek, for example, and every man would be fighting a 55-pound king. No wow. exaggeration whatsoever. Yeah. You yeah. know, they might not bring that home in their cooler, right. but they yeah. would be riding their pole and winching on that thing for until it, till it, till they got it. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, nowadays you'd be, I mean, the genetics might be there, but, you know, you're going you're gonna to have a lot smaller fish, and it's just climate change and everything else. So, you yeah. know, you, you, you couldn't, you, you know, Alaska, it's interesting. They're, they're selling Alaska nowadays based on what we accomplished in the 80s and 90s because it was such good times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, it's... Uh, I'm super happy that that I got to see that that time of the time of Alaska oh, because yeah, there's yeah. like I, I know there's a lot of old you know I mean they're pushing a hundred but there's guys out there that would say statehood's the worst thing that ever happened we did whatever we wanted to do we, <laughs> yeah, we yeah. went wherever we wanted to go yeah and and there, there's probably a level of truth to that too you know with every generation but when I look back and we you know we see just being an 80s kid here in alaska is like just unbelievable it was the greatest it it really it really and that's not to say you can't do that today but it's going to cost you more and it's 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 going to be you might not be out there as often and and things get yelled at might run into some other people yeah yeah Yeah. 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 a little bit more (laughs) (laughs) but i still totally have the same passion you know it's uh You know, even even if uh, you know we're we're you know talking shop on boats or you know whatever. I mean, I'm 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 so happy that I'm still being able to do my own thing. Yeah, you know? hell yeah. yeah, yeah. Are you still guiding? You know, very rarely. Um, you know, if somebody says, uh, okay, you know, hey. <laughs> we go on your website and we see everything about the ANIAC check and it sort of ticks the boxes and then we go to everybody else and they have no clue even though they're advertising it. And that's not a dig or anything. I right. mean, you, you have to go out there often enough and you have to get turned back trying to get there often enough. Uh-huh. And uh, But there are some things like that that, I mean, are totally awesome. Yeah. And awesome trips. But, um, you know, a lot of those trips back in the day, you know, in the heydays, I'll say up to up till about 2005 ish, I would say, and then the heydays started to kind of like, oh, wait a minute, things are changing, and you know, either they're getting more restrict- restrictive, or the costs are going up, or you know, all all of those kinds of things, and not necessarily what I would make doing it. You know, is it worth my while to go out there? But just the cost of the, you know everything yeah every yeah. hand in it before you ever whoops sorry get into going out and yeah doing what yeah. you're doing so you better line up more than a couple of guests for one exclusive you better mm-hmm. you better yeah. you better yeah. take a few trips Logistics down that river are just all crazy yeah and so uh, so sense. so if you said you know am i going to go to some really cool places or would i go to lake creek with the group that says yeah this is a little too much for us but we're you know we're you know we're, we're we want to go out there and check it out and then you know the, that feeds the rentals if they're comfortable and they gain a skill set and learn something yeah. and they're like, Oh, Hey, you know, we, we got this this time. Yeah. You know, awesome. So it's all working Is Lake together. Creek pretty aggressive floating down that from like, that's one of the trips that's on my bucket list is I've been, I've been in my jet boat a little bit, but I didn't know anything about it. And I was by myself. It was late in the year. And I was like, you know, 
uh, and it's a 20 foot jet but i'm like i'm turning around like i don't know yeah. anything about this one so but i heard people drop in and then they float lake creek mm-hmm. and then they pop out right at what they call i think the german hut or something where those where the lodges are the yeah the lodges the and there's that yeah. dock there and stuff and it gets murky well what's yeah, cool no. about lake creek i mean i you know, I kind of explained that this is where I cut my teeth, you know, it's at 14, 15, 16. I mean, yeah. it was five, six, eight trips a year down, mm-hmm. down there, just boom, 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 you know, and, and, uh, so this last trip, me probably saw it on my Facebook. That was the 170th trip. Wow. But you know, it's such an wow. awesome place. I'd go there tomorrow. Yeah. If you guys yeah. were all game, let's go, Yeah, you know, because it's got everything. And back in the eighties and nineties, you might be the only English speaking person out there. Oh, it wow. was all Swiss, all oh, Germans. Really? All the lodges, when you got down to the very bottom, yeah, if you said, hi, guys, they'd be like, yeah. Yeah. Hi, 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 you know. Hi, Zach. Yeah. 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 Gates, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know. So, uh, so anyway, um, so that, you know, that was, that was what made Lake Creek. Okay. And, yeah. it's, and it's interesting when you look at some of the history, too, and nobody likes to admit it, but that's really what, what made a lot of these uh, smokehouses. Alaska mm. sausage oh, and all yeah. these just oh, yeah. oh, right. off because you had all the Germans and the Swiss yeah. and the, and their exchange rates were right for the for the dollar at that time uh-huh. yeah. and uh, and and then then when that sort that that sort of started to fall off the Japanese of course were buying up so many of the oh, yeah. the, the things here but they only yeah, had about good, three yeah. days off a year all the Germans and the Swiss had 30 days off a year. Mm-hmm. Big difference. Yeah. So, so <laughs> that then became the quick Lake Creek, Lake Creek trip. So yeah. instead of five day, four nights, seven day, six nights, you had the three nighter, <laughs> you know, or, or, or something like that. Yeah, and, it. and they would have all a blast and stuff. They would yeah. still, they would still see the same river and all that, but right. it just wasn't the same. And they yeah. weren't trying to fill coolers. Yeah. It was the, the Europeans would all come down and they'd try to fill coolers at the end. Yeah. The Japanese would try to eat every fish per night. They could. Oh, um, wow. So it was a completely different yeah, mindset. Totally. You know? yeah. So, uh, so, you know, nowadays, of course, we're all catch and release and don't put that you know don't yeah. Yeah. So, keep it in the water but the lake yeah, creek's awesome and, and if you said to me you know would i guide trips on lake creek absolutely but would i you know guide trip on the Gulcana? no you know it's it's a good river too um you know would i guide anything on the kenai absolutely not you know that's that's going to feed the rental, the do-it-yourself kinds yeah. of things, because that you know that's the place to cut your teeth to get going and and, and see more. Yeah. And uh, but but Lake Creek's got it's the logistics are so awesome, it's mm-hmm. so fun, and uh, you know that you're getting out on this day, and you know you're coming back on this day, and so if somebody's on a tight schedule yeah. and budget-wise, um, you know I kid you not, it's like that trip has since since all these days even since like let's say 2005 2006 you could probably do that trip for about 25 to 2800 a guy now it's 6500 a guy same Ooh, trip wow nothing's changed nothing's changed and uh but the attraction maybe for the big 55 pound kings no longer there especially yeah. when it's closed yeah so uh yeah, yeah, you know, but but at the same time, when all those are closed, you know, I do my little winter solo thing, you know, in October every year. When yeah. the, everything's done. I keep one boat out, and, and uh, or I do a boat test, and I do my solos every year out there. It's a blast. It's yeah. a blast. You know, Catching there's not a soul out there. You know, yeah. I mean, it's uh, you know, ice is basic. It's not for everybody. Yeah. But like like Jack, you'd love it. I yeah. I've known you long enough. You'd be like, this is awesome. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's not like you catch fish on every cast, but when you really know the river, yeah, 
there's apex fish in every hole and they're all quality they're all big but there's only six in that hole yeah. there's not 15 to 50 right and and so uh, so you just keep moving keep moving keep yeah. moving and you got really short days you don't you know yeah. you, you could camp on six inches of snow so you're like out there yeah. tromping your camp down yeah. and you know yeah. hugging your stove and your you know your your your, your freeze-dried meal oh, this is a hand warmer and a foot warmer <laughs> yeah, yeah. but uh but it's that's you know that, that's one if it was local and uh one that you would say oh yeah would i go there every day of the week yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well, why do you like it more than the gokana you know i think just because lake creek starts out in just a beautiful mountain lake so picture kenai lake but right on the alaska range yeah just boom you know right. the mountains are sticking up and there's a, there's some lodges and some cabins around it but they're kind of irrelevant because you're you're on the river yeah. that day and then there's no way and you've been out there in the jet boat there's only so far you can climb up there in a jet boat so once yeah, you've totally. left the lake yeah you're on your own yeah and there's no place to land on you unless you're bringing a helicopter yeah and then all the rock dodging and puzzle solving and different mm. character rapids is so fun yeah. it's just so fun does That's he get cool. wide like when in, i went in, up in, in some was, places it does okay when yeah. i went up in a 20-foot jet boat it was like narrow Ooh, there's logs yeah. digging in i'm going up i'm taking on water it's like september and i'm going and literally it was like like frost on my tent the next morning i yeah. went up yeah. northern lights beautiful wolves howling like it was just gorgeous out there yeah but so go a little <laughs> further up and then it's just gonna get that really? much exponentially uh, yeah. cooler mm. you know, cool yeah time. it looked tight i was like man this the water was a gorgeous like oh, yeah. greenish blue that was awesome yeah, yeah. what and, was the book that you mentioned that um uh sep wrote uh, wild rivers of alaska okay and it's uh, it's kind of a, a a collector's item book okay it would be rare to find that but it, it's it is findable and if, if somebody has one you're probably gonna have to play tug of war gotcha I mean, it's, it's yeah. just just people that that know the history of alaska and rafting and river running and and, and sep was high skill set and didn't need anything out in the field to do it and at 90 he'd hike anybody probably me easily <laughs> you know i'm not much of a hiker piece. necessarily but i mean this guy is a little tank yeah and uh and but he doesn't need anything you know that's the the cool and, I, and he's not one of these uh you know i'm an alone guy and i'm on a survival channel nothing like that just just like nope it's an old grinder really really self-sufficient self-reliant and uh and can do anything i mean yeah. if you said hey you needed to build this house he could probably get a couple of rolls of duct tape, some nails, and some planks, and all of a sudden there's stucco wall showing there. Yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. like, how did this happen? You know. <laughs> so really, really a very interesting, interesting character to work for. But the coolest thing is he just gave me the freedom to do and learn. Yeah. And never was critical. You know, I could tell him a story about how the river came up or how the how the fishing was, and just didn't phase him. It's like go out there and do it again. Yeah. And. Yeah. Uh, towards the later part of my apprenticeship we ended up pioneering some uh, stretches in the brooks range that had never been trekked oh really oh, and wow. some of those lakes actually that we trekked from don't exist anymore wow so oh, in geologic time yeah. the short amount of time yeah. Yeah. those lakes are gone wow you know the rivers are still there but yeah. we would do multi-mode treks to rivers and yeah. some of the places that we That's put cool. in are no longer even there wow so wow. it's uh it's cool a lot of, a lot of pioneering days yeah like that. i had no idea how many glaciers like you're saying lakes are disappearing rivers are changing right we've been doing the gold canna for since 09 and every year it changes and finally the king hole dried up right so mm. daniel can't 
go in that anymore. <laughs> it's it's amazing. <laughs> but, you know. It's but, amazing how fast it's changing, yeah. too. Like, oh, the high melt years. And, but yeah. there's all these glaciers. There's like a, over 100,000 glaciers in the world or something. Most of them are in Alaska, and a lot of them don't have names. Mm. I had no idea mm. about that fact. And I was like, man. Yeah. You could like, start a name your glacier. Yeah. Like the star. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, buy your glacier. Yeah, 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 Get yeah. it quick. They're yeah. diminishing. Yeah. Well, like, I named that then. Yeah. 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 Right. Sure you did. Yeah, just put a post on it. Yeah, just like the old days where they, like, uh, what is it, Petersville, where people used to just put their posts out, and then they went and actually surveyed and go, oh, like, like half of your cabin is mine. <laughs> yeah. Then, you know, yeah. like they finally geo surveyed it. <laughs> right. like, they drew it in with a crayon. Yeah. 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 Like, I had no well, idea. <laughs> no. Sounds like the guy you learned from was uh, a lot like uh, Carl Ide, the guy that uh, did oh, the ski jumps. They, just, they were very good friends. Just, I mean, a wealth of knowledge. Oh, and yeah. these guys, I mean, they hone their craft. They'd be like, run across the yard. And you'd run and be like, you're never going to be an Olympic runner. But you can do this, this, and this very well. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, you don't even know that. Oh and yeah, you yeah. Just well, tell it by it. just watching and, and Carl Ide's son, Mark Ide's probably one of the best skiers ever out of Alaska. But oh, you know okay. how many know that unless you were a skier? Yeah. But I mean, incredibly talented guy, and and uh, you know it's yeah. uh, so so yeah. A lot of I mean those those are the guys that really just started opening up Alaska and, and making those opportunities for our age group. Totally. And yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how old you are now. So I'm 42. I'll be 43 next month, yeah. August 31st. How about and yourself? I'm be 45 this year. Yeah, so oh, yeah. I got 10 years on you. Yeah. I'm 55 now. And but I grew up in Bear Valley. Let me tell you, dude. Oh, it was yeah. the Wild West before. Uh, it was only troopers, no cops. And, man, we had, like you're saying, a backyard. Next thing you know, you know that person. And then that person's kid knows you. And it was so much fun growing up back in the hillside. Because, like you said, I would go out and I would just be like, I'm going camping. And I'd be. Frying a squirrel, doing one, you know, right, cooking yeah. a squirrel, doing whatever. <laughs> Middle of nowhere, chasing moose around, climbing trees. And well, you were just you literally just on in. the other side of the airstrip from me. Yeah, I mean, totally. We'd go know. to that airstrip all the time. Yeah. And I don't know how they landed on that thing sometimes because the wind. <laughs> oh, so yeah. we were in, up there in a four-wheeler back when we were like 13. And I thought my buddy was throwing rocks at me. Shale rocks were getting picked up and whistling at us. And it hit me and <laughs> wow. cut me. And I thought my buddy did it, so I'm yelling at him. And he's like, no. And then another one hit me, and we're ducking behind the four-wheeler, and then we had to roll back down. <laughs> but we, we went up there in a Nissan Pathfinder, an old 86, way back in the day. It was just so cool. And it's all blocked off now. Yeah, now it's yeah. Not. People yell at you, and it's cell towers now. Well, yeah, people stuff, did but. used to land there. I don't think you're allowed to land anymore. Oh, okay. But... Uh, but you know, just like the three wheeler, four wheeler thing, I had. You know, everybody <laughs> says, well, "What was your first car, Brian?" And yeah. it was an eight wheel drive Argo. Oh and, wow! And it wasn't the twenty, thirty thousand dollar Argos. I mean, these things yeah. were yeah. like five grand back then. Right. Yeah. You know, basketball tires and a, and a bathtub with a small <laughs> engine. You know, kind of a thing. But they would climb. Oh, they did. They would climb, and I, I basically had gone all the way up into McHugh and all over those places, oh, places yeah. where you'd get out of the vehicle and go. Oh my god! I can't do this. Dude. Yeah. It's gonna kill me if I tip this over. <laughs> the bears looking oh, at you like I can't you don't keep going. You know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not even the bears can get you. They're like, no, nah, that guy's gone. But uh, you're so, right. The winds yeah. there are so awesome up on that airstrip. Oh, yeah. There's. It's like yeah. if you want to do a wind test on a tent. Oh yeah, that's, that's where it's at. Straight one down up. there and see yeah. how you do. Yeah. You yeah, you're going to Kasugi. Go <laughs> test your stuff up here. Yeah. 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 And it's just like, 
Oh, no, uh, yeah. I mean, large rocks are flying at you. Yeah, absolutely. Very impressive. That's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a helipad up there by, what, Honey Bear Road, kind of the trail. There's, like, someone's got a helipad up there I saw yeah, on the yeah, sat map. Yeah, he wants to be seen from outer space. He's just <laughs> you know, a huge place, yeah. you know, giant yeah. deck. And yeah. 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 Rugby yeah. field. Yeah. Yeah. that place. Yeah. 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 It's gonna pretty s- cool, but, yeah. He's going to yeah. see me one day. I'm just going to go there and just hit the SOS button and lay down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come get me. Bring a six-pack. Uh, Brian, what would you say would be some resources that people that are maybe been into rafting or they're trying to get into rafting as far as um, figuring out what rivers to do? Um, I know that I personally um, did a lot of looking up at, uh, I want to say her name is Jetmar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I know Karen. Mm-hmm. Her her book is really great. She names many, many, many rivers and the takeouts and what to look out for. Um, I forget what the name of her book is, but Karen Jetmar is the author. Yeah. Um, is there any um, any other ones as far as like you can check water levels or? I know hers is one of the main ones, but is there something else that comes to mind? Is there a website or what? Jenmar was really—I mean, she was a guide and did a lot of. She really liked uh, Arctic trips, you know, Brooks Range trips and whatnot. But uh, um, you know what? What Karen was good at was definitely researching all the rest of the books and saying, "Hey, you know, maybe I hadn't been on all these rivers, but you know, let's figure out what maps, what species, what." So she was very good with pooling a lot of the intel. And back then, it was all books. You didn't have the internet when she started writing those right. books. Totally. And so uh, so she really did a lot of due diligence as far as figuring that kind of stuff out. And, um, you know, and back then we didn't have GPSs. We didn't have, so you wanted quadrangles. You wanted all that. So, you know, she had different, you know, versions of this book that would come out, little updates or, you know, whatever. But most of them are pretty much saying the same thing in the same, you know, the same, same places. Um, I would say today... And this isn't a, 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 a bag on any author writing a book, but I'd say books on this sort of thing. And we talked about the, the changes. The changes oh, are man. just so significant in the last 5 to 15 years compared to the last 40 before that. Yeah. And uh, because of climate change, because of, you know, oh, yeah. the, the, I mean, you see it in, I mean, the good canaries in the coal mine are the king salmon struggling. Yeah. yeah. Or the caribou herd struggling. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you yeah. know, the, the, you know, to get off topic a little bit, the, the, the way you wipe out species is, you know, let's, let's have a lot of high water and kill off all the eggs. Oh, yeah. And put a lot of siltation in and make sure that the little guys can't make it back to the sea. Yeah. Mm. If you look at all the big red salmon runs right now, then you don't, for some reason you don't see this a lot in the news, but, you know, you should. And it's just, I guess these guys aren't getting out enough, but the reds go to a very, a very controlled environment. They don't care if it's high water for the right. most part. They yeah. actually swim sometimes faster in the high water. Yeah. So they get up there. And they spawn in a lake. Yeah. It's a controlled environment. They're not on some little gravel mountain tributary that's volatile. Yeah. Right. And the other thing is that these lakes are getting warmer. Our rivers are getting warmer. So what's going on is from an egg phase to a little tiny fishy phase, they got more to eat. Mm -hmm. They got more stuff in that warm lake than they have ever had before. And some of those fish are probably going, I'm big enough. I'm heading to the sea. So now you've got... You know, all sorts of generations that should have spent more time in the rivers and the lakes shooting for the sea because I'm big enough and I'm going to make it in the sea. Whereas mm. before they were too small and they would be 
Mm. Easy prey. Mm -hmm. But the kings, you know, you basically wiped out their eggs and their little ones. It doesn't take many years of that. I mean, very few, 10 to 12, and all of a sudden, and it might not ever come back. The genetics might be there, but the numbers aren't going to be there. And uh, so, so that's what you're seeing with the kings. And then with the chums and the silver populations, you're starting to see kind of the same thing. Mm. But uh, so places that were, you know, home of the fighting chum, you know, kind of a thing. That was right. there, you know. Yeah. Right. And those chum actually fed the rainbows in that river. Well, now you got a Costco processor sitting out in front of that river that's got all the chums. Yeah. Well, what are the, what are the rainbows going to eat? and so then then they eat themselves they get a little like pike they start eating themselves they eat Mm -hmm. themselves out of house and home and then you crash that and it Mm. takes a long time Mm. to rebuild that and it's the same with the caribou the succession of vegetation is Mm -hmm. a big one so now there's malnutrition because there's not you know they're not the kids in the candy store on the tundra eating what they want to eat anymore yeah and so malnutrition and fewer young and on and on and on so those are 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 good indicators and we kind of got off topic there i'm not exactly sure how we started on that one but (laughs) no i've noticed uh, it just i mean not even being a like like a crazy fisherman you know there's guys that like are very in tune with it but just on the gold can yeah i mean just on the gold can (laughs) between like the kings and the amount of like We've caught, like, what, two Jack Kings in the last, like, three, four years, and then that King Hole completely boarded up with, you know, all the all the logs from, like you're saying, the high mountain. Now they can't even get back to that spot. And it, it's, it's, weird, it's weird how the copper is doing better than everything else. Yeah. That, I mean, because we, we had those really bad years on the copper for Kings, you know, on the Golcana and all those tributaries, and mm-hmm. the last two years have been pretty good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Comparatively, yeah. where, like, this south central stuff is brutal you know like we we grew up as like the 90 80 late 80s 90s kids here you know fishing and i mean my favorite river from king fishing you can't even catch and lease anymore you know and it's remote (laughs) you know and so it's just wild it's crazy yeah. yeah and then yeah the pike came in and obviously we're invasive and ate a bunch of stuff but it's just like i mean it's not like they got overfished like commercially the kings you know i feel like when i commercial fished we caught like maybe like five kings out in chicknick like you know and one was like 70 something crazy pounds and you let it go and stuff but like you didn't really see that many out there in all the salmon runs between the salmon tracks and everything else but in the rivers you can tell like you can totally tell like okay this is where they hang out here's this and then they're just gone. Yeah, yeah. Mm, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Did you see many on like Lake Creek? Those, you know? What's that? Did you see many on Lake Creek? Well, on this last trip, you know, we were we were doing a short, you know, trip because I had to obviously get back to, you know, get rentals and whatnot out. But, uh, you know, the, the first couple of days, we were actually mousing. Yeah. We didn't need, oh, we yeah. didn't need nice. to be mousing, but yeah. we were well, having fun mousing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and my buddy... Uh, Reed, who's just a fantastic artist, I mean, just, you know, of notoriety for sure. And yeah. he, he made these mice with white, painted white backs. Oh, oh right. wow. So you can see the mice. Yeah. But uh, the, so the, the mice look 
like mice to the to the, the other fish and so we had a lot of fun on that and i was at the oars most of the time and and it's a single you know single hook only place so you yeah. can't you can't run droppers and things like that yeah, so yeah. so you know big mouse you know you're hoping to get a big trout or big yeah, grayling yeah, and yeah. you know trout really will hit hard like this and grayling will roll up and yeah. take it like that <laughs> so it's you know, really really fun and and we didn't see any kings in the beginning so we weren't going to bother with beads or any kind of eggs or any of that and the reds hadn't come in yet up that high and we got a couple tributaries down and i was just messing around as i was literally watching the river just i'm like well better get my fishing in now <laughs> and, and yeah. so uh, hooked into jacks oh okay so there's 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 likelihood of bigger kings in there but since the main river was coming up and all the other small side streams are blowing out yeah mm. um yeah, those big kings were just going, oh, wait a minute, this doesn't taste like a real venture up this creek right now. Yeah, it's yeah. just kind of hanging a pool where we can, yeah. yeah. So we didn't we didn't see any big big kings to speak of. And, you know, I was hoping that we'd get into some of those spots that they're just laid in like cordwood and go, yep, they're here, thank goodness. Yeah. But, but uh, we didn't, mm. you know, the so river's too flooded. Lake Creek does reds, silvers. Yeah. At least I saw silvers jumping right on the outside of where those lodges are going into Lake Creek. But I don't know if they actually go into it. Yeah, yeah, they do. The The silver strategy, they, they'll they get up through out the river, but they don't necessarily have to go too far. Oh, okay. And same with pink, same with chums. They'll get up and about mid-river and call it good. So you go up Lake Creek, and then somewhere like halfway up, it starts getting like bouldery, rapid, all that, and then that's yeah. where you have to stop in a jet boat, I assume. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. It's not that a skilled jet boater might not be getting up it, yeah, but coming down, <laughs> oh, you do, yeah. do some damage. And even in the fancy Russian jet boats. I was going to say, my yeah. our buddy's got, oh, yeah. Peters has got oh, these the Solars, Solars yeah. and I've been watching them, and... Yeah. My girlfriend's uh, uncle, who does a lot of moose hunting up top, up in uh, Fairbanks and stuff around there, he's got one of those Solars. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's stuff they're going down, man, like four class four rapids, three rapids. It's crazy. Insane. And, of course, that's why I see a fair number of them in the repair shop. I believe <laughs> it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they, totally. watch, they watch the Russian videos, and these guys are, like, mud-bogging in... <laughs> $80,000 tour eggs, you know, so yeah, you know yeah, this is yeah. like almost mafia going, let's yeah, go yeah. boating that. Yeah, yeah. And the engines are flying and they're jumping yeah. rocks, you know, it's 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 impressive. And yeah. they're doing it in the Altais, which is, you know, incredible, just, you know, like Alaska or the deep parts of Montana. And, yeah. and uh, but we try that here and all of a sudden we realize we're not mud bagging and, you know, the tour yeah. eggs and we're not, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not getting another motor next, you know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> they have those Palmer jet foots and someone's like, yeah, they're really cool he's like snapped in mind the first time and, like, <laughs> <laughs> and but the, but the idea them, is fantastic oh yeah and one uh, of them's a video of some guys getting rescued down in like Sitka or catch can flipped over in a solar one still on the raft upside down and the other guy's on shore they're <laughs> oh, getting picked geez. out yeah like, <laughs> but it's aggressive looking i mean they're coming down backwards till they can turn yeah in these jet and they unchain yeah. the motor so the motor is just going rocking and rolling. Yeah. Bop, yeah. Bop, yeah. Every time it hits. But you, you know, in a hard shell boat, oh. unless you're in a mini jet. Yeah. You know, that's it's it'd oh, be weird. it'd be tough. It'd yeah. be really tough coming back down. It was high rain. water in the Gold Can this year. We saw a mini jet a mini jet go above the weir and, and blow by and yeah, I'm they like, definitely went above the legal area. Yeah. <laughs> they <laughs> like went the, into mm. the wild and seeding yeah. portion a hundred percent. Yeah, it was like this guy yeah. and his kid just with these earphones yeah. like yeah. looking at yeah. us on you the know, back, yeah. You're having your morning coffee going and 
relieving yourself and you're like no one's coming from the bottom of the river because it's wild and this guy and i'm just waving at him you know holding my stuff just <laughs> ripping rip yeah he's like driving by and i'm just like uh, one and one you know yeah. like, oh, well, you know you were talking yeah. about the books right and this is a, a perfect illustration how they're getting phased out these river journals because yeah. you know wild and scenic river on your GPS with these different apps and programs, you would oh, know yeah. instantly where you are. Yes. Yeah. If everything's working and you're applying yep. your technologies correctly, yeah. a book's not going to do that for you. Right. No, and uh, so, so let's say, you know, uh, just like s- some hunting and fishing, like you're going to really e-plan some of these trips. Um, you know, that's, that's just incredible intelligence for you to have. It's not perfect, but, uh, yeah. you know, where are the fish likely to be? Where is the game likely to be? What is worth hiking into? What is worth boating? Oh, yeah. Um, the flip side of that, no pun intended, is that, um, you know, a trip that I used to do a lot in the fall was the Kobuk River. Oh, And this yeah. was when we would, uh, you know, do some moose hunting and some... Uh, she you know, fish? Some she, she fish, fish. Yeah, yeah, those things are monsters. I've seen there. you with some monster she <laughs> Yeah, oh. yeah, some big old hens, Dude. you know. They're just six feet long. It's, just, it's wow. an amazing trip. Like sturgeon and, or something. And, yeah, and we do that in September. So, you know, we'd make sure that, the you know, the, the fish were thick by then. Yeah. And the moose were, you know, in full thing. And, and what we started to notice also, the caribou were later and later and oh, more yeah. unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's funny because we would always like, you know, we need to see your papers. And I'd show my papers to the troopers. They had a trooper camp there to keep the peace between the villagers and anybody coming down the river. They'd greet you with AR 15s and shotguns. And it's like, and it's like, you're just hoping it's not too windy and your paper goes out of your, you know, anybody's hand. So I would, uh, I would, you know, provide those papers and, but, uh, but that trip starts in uh, Walker Lake. Or, or at least our version of it, starting yeah. in Walker Lake. And the moment you leave Walker Lake, it goes from absolute glass to a horizon line that's just gone. Oh, wow. And it's a class, good class four rapid at most water levels. And if it's there's no water in it, it's basically fault line types, type rock that's... It's basically the, it, the the shape of it. If you just took all the water off and you stacked a bunch of radial saw blades mm. forward. So most rivers, you know, going through the rocks and it's curled down the river. This is right. all spiked up the river. Oh, wow. So very grabby stuff. And there's actually crevasses in those where it's folded over. Yeah. So if you thought you, oh, I think on a shallow thing, you know, wade as far as I can, you're yeah. very likely to get sieved oh. in and wedged in. Wow. So you don't want to get out of a boat and think you're going to drag in this rapid because it could be your last. Yeah. yeah. Or you cut the boat to shreds. Any boat. <laughs> Any boat. Yeah. Wow. But at big water, all of a sudden, it has serious power and, you know, 10-foot haystacks. And so when you're in the trough, you could be looking up at a serious, you know, wave. And there's a big rock in, 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 the, in a pocket there that has incredible suction. Jesus. So, you know, you could, do, you could be doing e-planning and you could go, oh, it looks like some waves in there. <laughs> that's that day. Yeah. That's that day when the, the satellite said, yeah. or you could even get a winter picture, right? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And, yeah. and it's like, well, you know, it couldn't be that bad. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's all white down there, you know? Yeah. And so that's not, not a great indicator. And I remember one guy, uh, he was wanting to do a do-it-yourselfer, and for some reason he found an article of me holding the she-fish and decided he'd give me a call. And he put on Facebook, you know, what do you guys all think about this? 
And everybody said, oh, you know, we looked on Google Earth and blah, blah. It was a nice, you know, it was like, yeah. like yeah. and I said, first of all, that's from outer space and you're actually seeing a rapid. So it's yeah. significant. That's a beast. Yeah. And yeah. second of all, you're going to get a lot of looks. And if it's really high water and you got no horizon line, look out. And uh, so he, he was a good boater. He asked the right questions, but he took, he, you know, he took measures to try to avoid everything. And that gave back to me and said, Brian, thank God you didn't tell me just look at Google Earth like everybody mm. else. And uh, yeah. so and there are a lot of rivers like that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So. Well, and, I mean, day to day too, you know, it's like Alaska has power, it's cold, and it's silty. It can fill you up, drop you to the bottom. It can hit you. And it can freeze you. Mm. And people are like, oh, it's 85 degrees. It's so great. You know, and then you jump in the ocean. You're fixing a prop on the boat. And it's 40 degree water, 50, 45 degree. And it just sucks the life right out of you. And people are like, oh. And a lot of people, I forget what river it was, but they get in it, not including the copper, the chitna. They're just super powerful and deep Mm. canyons. Mm. But some rivers where you get in and. Like someone was talking the other day, they didn't have a waiter belt. And I'm like, you need a waiter belt because you are just going to right to the bottom. Yeah. And luckily he did fall in, but he didn't get sucked to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And he had like a kayak and he's a new guy, you know, and I'm like, oh, dude. Man. Wow, you got to learn the hard way. Yeah. Oh, how's your uh, yeah. trivia? What's that? How's your trivia game? Mm. I have no idea. I haven't played oh, in a while, I guess. Okay, well, we're going to find out. Getting we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back with some trivia. Ah, cool. Getting better every sip. <laughs> Big Ray's The Alaskan Outfitter, committed to outfitting Alaskans across the state since 1947. Whether you're a recreator, parent, guide, or corporate buyer, Big Ray's has the gear you need tailored for Alaska's harsh conditions. At Big Ray's, you'll find brands like Carhartt, Grundens, Darn Tough, FXD, Okiware, and more. Big Ray's is your one-stop shop for both outdoor gear and rugged work attire. Check out their new exclusive line of durable but affordable waders, inspired by and named after the majestic Aralik River in remote western Alaska. The Aralik wader was designed by Alaskans and proven for the diverse waters of the last frontier. Visit Big Rays at any of their five locations statewide, two in Anchorage, two in Fairbanks, one in Kodiak, or check them out online at BigRays.com. Tailored Restoration, helping Alaskans turn disasters into new beginnings since 1972. Their 24-hour services include fire, water, mold, post-emergency cleaning, and repairs. Tailored built its reputation with years of committed and reliable service to the community with innovative restoration and home remodeling. When you have an unexpected home issue at the most improbable time, Tailored has an emergency response number with trained professionals available to help you anytime, day or night. Tailored Restoration has locations to serve you in Anchorage, Eagle River, Matsu, or Fairbanks. Give them a call at 907-344-1239 or make an appointment today at tailoredrestorationalaska.com. Total Truck, Alaska's premier supplier for custom automotive accessories and Overlander products. If you want to customize your vehicle, talk to the team at Total Truck where you'll find their expertise along with top brands such as ARE, RSI Smart Caps, Goose Gear, iCamper, Front Runner, Rigid Lights, Rhino Lining Bed Liners, and everything you need to outfit your truck or SUV. Want to turn your truck into a sleeping option? They have rooftop tents, custom camping equipment, electronics, and solar energy packages to keep you powered up deep in the backcountry. Stop by their store location on Dowling between the new and old Seward Highway or check them out at TotalTruckAK.com. 
www.thebrewingshow.com. All right, we're back. You ready for the trivia music? We can do some trivia. We, I think okay, we should wait for him. Yeah, 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 yeah we, uh, we want to lo- hear a little bit about this creature craft, though. You want to talk about the creature craft before sure, Tangy sure. gets Yeah, here? it's a pretty unique boat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got a picture of it somewhere? On your Facebook, um, there definitely Reed's got his uh, his video. Um, oh, oh, oh this is the one you you're telling me about I, before. Yeah, I do oh, not tend to. Crap. I don't tend to put much press into that because I don't want somebody to get a tool like that and beach ball it because it's uh, it's a very specific use tool and you know like all tools, there's a right way to use them and a really reckless way to use them. Uh-huh. <laughs> Whoa, dude, that looks <laughs> yeah. so cool. <laughs> this thing is rad. <laughs> so, so this uh, this particular creature craft is uh, what we call the Aguamala, which means bad water. <laughs> okay, for people that are just listening, um, this is basically a raft that has um, like a rainbow, like another raft on top. How would like you describe it's, it's this? A roll, roll cage. It's basically a like roll cage. A roll cage. cage. A roll roll cage. cage okay. And it self-writes then, right? Well, that's correct. Mm, that's correct. Yeah. Not not completely by itself. <laughs> yeah. It's certain, certain things. So training is involved. Uh-huh. But uh, but basically, you know, in, in this video, uh, we're sitting in a tandem row, row forward thing. So one rower, uh-huh. and uh, this is on the six mile at somewhat low water. Matter of fact, all, all, most of the commercial guys actually got stuffed or dumped their boats and their clients this day because it was Look at actually all those so narrow. Oh. oh, but all the people. This was uh, a friend of mine, Timmy, puts on a on a nice festival down there on the six mile what's that called and uh it, i think it's pretty much the six mile fest and he'll have music at night and you know all kinds yeah. of things and there'll be kayak races and uh you know all sorts of things going on uh but nice. but seldom is it sunny so this was oh. just a great Pop video door. opportunity yeah. this is you know if when you're trained right and you're running technically, you know, good lines, like point, putting this boat, ex- sticking it exactly where you want it. Yeah. Um, you know, th- this is an incredibly capable boat, and it, it tends to make six mile, which is kind of Alaska's classic whitewater run. Um, it tends to make it like we're just kind of casually talking our way down like we are now. Yeah. And um, now... You know, obviously, you run any tool wrong, and it's a completely different scenario. Yeah. yeah. And let's say, for example, we were putting that on its edge sideways. Now you're just drifting. You're not. Lo- you're not boating anymore. You're not in control. But the idea of this is you're actually buckled to this boat. Oh, you are. You are buckled oh, I was in. About that. Oh, the okay. reason being is if uh, this this boat has a lot of speed and momentum, yeah. and um, and also if you are getting washing machined or typewritered or all the typical you know gnarly things that could happen in whitewater, you'd get ejected out of the boat. You wouldn't be able to stay in it. Yeah, just totally. just the same if you got in an auto accident and went right. through the front windshield without a seatbelt. So. Um, and there's people everywhere. I noticed you brought the good oars, the ones with the chunks out of them for so this. So that's interesting. They, they cre- <laughs> this 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 creature craft has a history of the video that you showed of doing oh, doing dam. overhead dams with multiple creature crafts. <laughs> oh. So this one's been in a few sword fights. Oh, yeah, nice. yeah. Right. And uh, so multiple boats stacked in, in windmilling oars. This, <laughs> but, it but, seems like it's hard to see. 
because you got that it tube. It can be. It can be. You're yeah. right. But when you're using certain ferry angles, then you all have a pretty good outlook. Okay. Yeah. So we're using this in a tandem row forward or rig setup. You can also put paddlers on seats on the side of this. Oh, And so, nice. so those seats are strapped down just like frame. Mm. And you are buckled to those seats. And it, what's cool about the creature craft, so there's a little history here. So back in the day, I was working with what I called my dog bone boats. Mm. And it was with a boat very similar to the one you have, Jack, you mm -hmm. know, the D-series and the E-series. And it was basically two dog bones sticking up. And if you kind of notice, yeah, this has that. Together. Yeah, totally. But mine needed to go into airplanes. Oh, okay. So yeah. I was tying mine into the boat in the frame, not permanently. Uh-huh. And... The other thing, so I had it in more components. You could take it on and off, like a windy day, and it's not white water, take it off, pack it up. And uh, so, so, in other words, this doesn't pack well compared to the, you know, being able to take the components apart. That said, oh, I never nice. would have thought about the seat belting. And the yeah. seat belts are not conventional like you would uh, use in your car uh -huh. or an airplane. They're actually uh, they're a commercial-grade Velcro belt that's got oh. quite an apron on it. And uh, I never would have thought of that either. That was yeah, absolutely because you can ingenious. rip it off and yeah, totally, get absolutely. Out. And so you can hang upside down with all your weight. You can you know mm. do do whatever weighting and unweighting you want to do, and mm. you're you are on that you are Velcro fly mm -hmm. in that in wow. that boat. And so that is absolutely ingenious. And when I was talking to the creature craft uh, guy, his name is Darren. Really awesome guy. Been there, done it. Yeah, knows his stuff. And doesn't have to tell you how he knows his stuff. Yeah, just yeah, a yeah. really, really good guy. Yeah. And put, put you know, same kind of thing. He would never put anything on his back that he wouldn't put on the other. Yeah. He and I get along really, really well. And um, so anyway, at first, these boats came out with just a triangle on the top. The problem is if you got in a big hole upside down, the triangle would have no buoyancy and you could actually sink down and drown oh so even though you had sort of a roll cage it wasn't good enough so yeah so then they put two big balls on the side right yeah the and, dog and those went for a while uh-huh and uh and and but they also had just single continuous tubes on the bottom they didn't have this this big pillow in the front and the back oh okay Kinda so this was the what they called a gen it. four uh-huh so if it's on its edge in a gen four it doesn't have the surface tension to grab and, oh. it, and it can self-right easier okay cool and uh and that's because of the two little dog bone parts yes yeah, so the superstructure the helps it from completely turning over but if it mm. did there would it, you wouldn't sink down so far okay yeah. and then the dog bones sort of at the at the tube level mm -hmm. keep it from sucking down and sticking to the water okay yeah. and so really really a, a very, that was the, that's kind of the the latest of designs that yeah. really stuck to go mild to wild anywhere in the world waterfalls yeah. low head dams and yeah and it's, cool. it, it's interesting so darren and i were talking and um you know, he, he really wanted to have a power application because most low head dams in America are not in mountains. They're not, they're in Ohio. Right. You know, or something like that. Yeah. So, so you can't always save somebody in a low, low head dam. A lot of, a lot of accidents and deaths happen when and, and people are standing right there and can't do anything about it. Mm. So these had an incredible rescue application. Yeah, sure. But at the time, Darren only had a way to descend over and get somebody. Mm, but not to that So, point. you know, we had talked about power applications. 
Well, it so happens that power applications for cataracts started here in Alaska. Oh, really? Oh. And uh, it was it was uh, the very first cataracts that were power cataracts were very challenging because you had a wake going to the outside of the tubes, but you had an intersecting wake going to the inside. Oh, and, yeah. And that yeah. intersecting wake would interrupt right at the engine. Uh-huh. So you had basically right. two laterals coming yeah. into the engine. You had ventilation, cavitation, and the faster you wanted to go, you got diminishing returns because that, that inner wake would finally swamp the entire cowling and the engine would be underwater. Right. Yeah. So there were all kinds of skirting and things, things like that tried. And, and your hull speed was what it was. It's yeah. still a raft. And, uh, hmm. But I said, you know, um, he wanted to put this power application, and he had already done that. But it was, he was dealing with that intersecting wake, and he yeah. didn't know what to do about it. And I said, well, you know, certain skirting. Well, all this drop-stitch paddleboard technology started really coming out at the time. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. And so he was thinking, do we put a hard bottom on this? Do we put an aluminum jet boat bottom on it? You know, what yeah. are we going to do mm. here? Because every time he'd put power and more power to try to ascend some of these streams to get to these dams, that would pill up. And then the whole floor would come up. And, yeah, yeah. And so I took a, yeah. an inexpensive boat that I had designed for a company, and I put the I tore the floor out of it, just as if I stuck a, a paddleboard floor underneath it, and, uh-huh. it, and it worked. Nice. And I told him, you might try this. Wow. And so over time and over the years, he's perfected that. And what's cool now is they have a full-on fire team rescue boat yes. that you oh, put wow. these engines on, and they work not quite like a jet they're still a prop but they're a pump jet so they have a covering completely around them most of the military guys use these things i've seen and and, and pretty much only military has a lot of access to certain motors of that variety but uh uh, but anyway so he you know he's now putting different floors on there and sealing them up and what's cool is now you got that that lower center gravity and that weight of that floor Mm-hmm. So now it really does self right. You don't yeah. have to be as active okay. as oh, possible, cool. and you stay drier, You're safer. Right. Sure, right. you know. So, uh, so this this one is one of the first gens of the of the Gen fours, and then all that orange stuff you see on there. That's all urethane coating. Okay. So that's on top of the tubes, and I okay. do that on any raft for extra protection. Yep. Yeah. yep. So that's kind of like putting a, a real good custom bed liner, not the as seen on TV or right. you know, Walmart variety. <laughs> you know, so the preps in there, all the coatings in there and it's a it's a commercial grade like a mill spec mixture that you're, mm-hmm. you're that you're doing in there. And uh, that encapsulates that boat fabrication. So if you're in wall hits or any of those things, it's incredibly tough stuff. Nice. Really tough. And now they're doing a full sprayed on uh, encapsulation. Back then, you just wow. sort of armored what you thought you might Right, yeah. right, right. Well, that's cool. And they're doing it at the factory? So, the, yeah, and this is in Colorado. And when we say factory, this is a guy's really nice workshop at home. This is, oh, really? And most rafts, actually, in this country are kind of made like that. Okay. Yeah. These companies that you think are just massive things, <laughs> yeah. they're not. They're uh-huh. not. They're just a bunch of dedicated guys getting it done. Yeah, that's cool. So that's now cool. the full encapsulation, what that does is uh, the curing process is happening to this two-part urethane. So it's a sort of a, an apocalypse like scenario yeah. it's getting stronger with a two-part and the more you lay it on it's actually like you know if we if we if we put this this can in a freezer the can expands you know water's going to expand it turns into ice yeah. well as the urethane does that it shrinks mm-hmm. so on any plastic boat including the one you had let's just say that uh, we wanted to urethane coat your boat and fully encapsulate it 
with very little PSI, it would be hard as a rock because it shrinks on itself. Uh, and uh, so it's pretty, pretty, you're, you, you know, plastics are cool. Yeah. You know? Does that make like the yeah. surface tension less? Because I know a lot of people are doing like skins on jet boats. And then remember they had that stuff like never wet and all these cool aquapel stuff for your windshield. But they use some of that coating on some of these boats where like, I mean, water just beads right off you, you just know it, 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 your urethane is slicker it's a slick plastic compared yeah. to uh you know any kind of just rubber surface or pvc yeah. you know, and, um so yeah yeah there's definitely some yeah. and it wouldn't matter That's if so it was cool. orange peeled or glassy it would it would provide that uh yeah. that yeah. slickness but so they're, cool. they're they're very fun boats and a lot of people think oh you just don't know what you're doing and you don't have to care and you just go down the funny <laughs> thing is this is so precise that you become a much better boater because huh. you really feel it. It looks mm. narrow too. It looks like it's very you could narrow. maneuver very well. Like I saw you oaring and kind of lining up and I see you got, well, those are throws, but like, you know, just like the weight of it. it just yeah, the frame's a little different too there. Mm -hmm. Yes, this this frame is not a component frame for a reason because of getting you know big time washing machined in those mm -hmm. big waterfalls and right low head dams that you see, and so this frame is actually even trussed, so you can see it's not just even a right angle. There's a truss yeah, welded. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, very very cool frame. This uh, unfortunately that frame guy is no longer uh, in business, but his technology and his designs you know carry on yeah, to, yeah. to this day. And uh, our new one is actually coming for super steep technical rivers. Really? Oh. And it's actually a G2. So it's going to look like this, except without the big pillows in the oh, front. Okay. So I'm going to get through narrower stretches right. than I've ever gotten so before. going down the copper with yeah. two nets. And, and this that is really small. It's <laughs> okay. really small. Enough. You need, you need isolation from the water. Uh -huh. Believe me, when you've got a paddler sitting on the side and you're on your edge, yeah. they're not happy. They're yeah. on the water. And, they're, oh, yeah. and, and if you've ever ever been in the water but under foam oh it's ooh, it's really oh, yeah, weird it's yeah. really weird because you can watch the green foam or the blue foam or the tannic looking you know the, the yeah. root beery looking oh, stuff going yeah. and you can actually still breathe but it's not pretty yeah. you're like get me out of here yeah, <laughs> get me yeah, you're yeah. like i'm gonna do the world's best chin up and i'm still not out of here <laughs> until these other guys on the opposite end are yeah. cooperating yeah and uh so this gives you the 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 optimum isolation from the water if you get it too small it's 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 actually not that much of a benefit okay hmm. what what's up with the rower in the front i would have thought that you'd have like better angles with the with the because that it looks like the with the rowing frame um you well, those are pinning clips but the pinning clips are in the front wouldn't you want that in the back to have like better leverage and and just the direction? opposite just really? the opposite oh. so if you if you had a, a rower towards the back uh -huh. you know towards that stern what you'd need is paddle power up front and yeah. you're going to play a little bit more of an aggressive game with power in the front and lining it up in the back. So the uh -huh. guy in the back is really just setting the angle and powering, similar to a paddle raft, because oh. that guy's going to set the angle and then yeah. tell everybody what to do. Right. Okay. So you play a little bit more of an offensive game. Yeah, okay. Is this kind of like when you're in a, ra like a kayak or a pack raft, and I've noticed like as soon as you stop paddling, they spin around, and like the weight where they're sitting goes down river and they just yeah you want to go down a river a little bit canted forward and also when you're playing defense then if you get into a ferry angle the the, the back end's lighter so you can pivot change mm. and get more efficiency yeah it wants to because the river's going down yeah so yeah. if you pull against it defensively the back of you want the back to be up a little bit to plane 
mm. and pivot and transition and turn. Yeah, okay. And uh, so you don't, you definitely don't want to be the low rider cruising yeah. down, down the yeah. river. And that's also why you, in a lot of rivers up here, you don't want to put that big bun of gear on the back and a bunch of people in the front because if you get to a shallow and you got to step out, you're actually now drafting more water. Mm. And so, if, you know, and of course, higher center of gravity. And, you know, right. Things and like you're that. also taking on more water. But this gives you a ton hydraulics. of leverage. And when you're running big water and big holes and big drops, the advantage there is you get that leverage of what you can get your tips through, you're probably going to get your tail through. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like skiing and skating, uh-huh. right? If you right, can get yeah. the toes and, you know, or the tips of your skis through some, some tree line, yes. the chances are you're not, you're you're not straddling it, right? Yeah. yeah. And the other thing is that... Um, you know, by being here, if I've got a big hydraulic or a big drop that's trying to suck me back, I'm at least a lot more real estate right. forward of yeah. it. And I've seen so, that on rivers. We had a buddy get swamped like that. Like he turned a little bit sideways and it just sucked him back. And one of the one of the guys on the kayak, it was Wolf. He was like pushing his body forward and he, it was sucking him back and he was surfing <laughs> forward in the gold can of hydraulic it was hilarious oh and that last little yeah little drill. but, yeah, but yeah. he did escape he was like almost to the nose of it and he finally surfed out of the well thing. that's what boats will do and the yeah. longer and skinnier and lighter they are they will back up into it go sideways and flip yeah mm. that's how our buddies did it yeah, yeah. Mm. it like turned at the last and filled up brought them back for up. people that want to watch this video highly recommend it i mean what a beautiful day you guys chose to. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's called six mile whitewater creature craft yeah yeah it's fun it's on reed leslie's channel yeah. That is that so, is a great video. So ferry angle, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, like define that and how to set it up and all that kind of thing. Cause sure, sure. So there's a couple, th- you know, river physics, you know, just basics, right? So gravity, just like if I had a snowball sitting at the top of a perfect hill, and I dropped that snowball, he wants to go straight down the fall line. So a river, of course, is trying to do that. In mm-hmm. its life, it's trying to get to the sea straighter and straighter and straighter. Totally. Or if it flattens out, it might have to make more turns. But, I mean, it, the idea is gravity goes downhill. Totally. And then the high-speed water tends to be on the outside of a turn. Right. Okay. okay. So what's going on there is you've got two force vectors, one going straight. Mm-hmm. And let's just say this is my, you know, outside of the turn, the cut bank. Mm-hmm. I've got this high-speed water going this way. So if I can, if I can put my boat, um, hand me that remote, actually. That'll, that'll, I'll try not to mess it up. Directly perpendicular. <laughs> so if I've got this high-speed water coming around here and I've got gravity coming down there, what I want to do is I want to get to a 45 or 90 this direction. So here's the bow of my boat. Yeah. And I want to pull back. And what I'm going to grab is basically a wedge of water here that's working with the river. And I'm going to be able to keep, if I did this, for example, this oh, is going to yeah. make more sense. If I did this, for example, what's going to happen now, I got the gravity and I got the high speed and I'm going to end up on this bank totally, very, yeah. very fast. Yeah. But if I have this angle and this, we're talking about oar rig rafts. Right. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, so if I'm coming around this way and I'm maintaining that angle, now sometimes it might be closer to 90. Yeah, um, you know, and then, you're, then you're kind of more yarding it across a yeah, little bit. I've been there, yeah. and uh, and so so the beauty of that ferry angle and that wedge, you're working with the river 
and you're kind of looking ahead and you're you're slowing the boat in relation to the to those force yeah. vectors and so that's kind of the way you negotiate turns but it's also the way you're going to negotiate if you know if i have a, a stone in the middle of the river and i decide well i want to go right or left of that if i want to go this way i don't want to start paddling hard this way because i might end up on that rock yeah right. but I, what i'm going to do is i'm going to take that defensive angle i'm going to pull i'm not going to overly pull to end over here but right. I'm going to pull to, you know, some avoidance and defense here. And you always look at the big stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. So if there's a big rock that could do you harm, you're paying attention to that. If there's a small rock and it's kind of like, eh, it's there, you know, but it's not really going to do me any harm, real estate on the boat, whatsoever, right. don't worry about it too much. Even if you stick to it a little bit or it bounces mm-hmm. you around. But always pay attention to the big stuff. That's yeah. the stuff that can mm-hmm. pin you, that can do you harm, or the boat harm. Yeah. But, you know, if I'm wanting to go this way, then I'm probably going to, you know, cock it the other way. Yeah. And yeah. So I'm always, and if you go down to the Russian River Ferry, where oh, it's yeah. actually tagged yeah. there, that's all they're doing. They're never running any power. They're that's working th- with the yeah. river. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's why I was, I was, I asked the question that I thought, ferry angle, I'm like, where's that coming? And I'm like, the, yep, the Riverman river Ferry. There it is. The Riverman Ferry. Absolutely. I was thinking the, the Yukon, right? Like Dawson City and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, they just throw the ropes and just... Right yeah. Well, and you see how, like, uh, you know, stern wheelers back in the day used to get across the river. They didn't just, like, turn at 90 and head to the town. They mm-hmm. had to do the same the same sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's, I mean, that's one way. Um, if you're in really, really, really pushy water, sometimes you're going to have to look, and you got a big load. Sometimes you're actually going to use a downstream ferry. And when you're running an oar rig with oars, your power is this way. It's not this way. Mm-hmm. This is okay. a ma- maintenance thing. And you could play a little offense, but you know, yeah, not, yeah, com- yeah. not compared to putting your back and your feet and your, you know, every, <laughs> yeah. everything into it. Get so it what, all, you, yeah. what you might do, let's say that you got some serious thing down here and you're well in advance. You could actually cock it the other way and pull and outspeed the river. But you've uh-huh. got a lot more outspeeding potential this way early on than you do if you were trying to do it late mm-hmm. and gotcha. late and forward yeah yeah so so downstream ferry angles on on a big river what like an 18 foot boat on the colorado river at high water and you got you know a certain yeah you know thing that you've got to get to sometimes you know an early downstream ferry is really going to beat that you know tugging and tugging and tugging and getting tired <laughs> yeah. yeah i was kind of curious because i i noticed you know as we do the gold cannon for all these years and people have done the raft trip tons of times and other people and other rafts and that seems to be the hardest thing for people to grasp is, hey, turn this way, pull this way. It's easier oh, on the boat. It's very it's the transition it's between very, the two outside bends. Right. It's and like, then, hey, pull away from danger. You yeah. want to be 45 degrees to that yeah. outside. You know, to that. You want to be pointed upstream 45 degrees away from the outside bend. Right. And you're finishing that turn. And, and once then you're finished, transition. You're, you need to do a transition totally. early to the next one. And yeah. that is where everyone gets fucked up. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and that's totally something that like people are they're pushing forward and they're just literally just tiring themselves out. And I'm like, guys, no, you gotta go back. Like, well, and if you don't get you enough know. angle, you're actually stalling in the current. Yeah. Right? Oh, so, totally. So you're not, you know, you, the river's not quite making progress, but it will eventually when you get tired. Yeah. yeah. But you're, you know, you're just sort of stalling the inevitable. Yeah. Yep. And, and uh, this is not working. This is not working. No, put oh, a little yeah. more angle and maybe, you know. Totally. 
But, uh, but no, that's, that's, uh, that's a good point. And, and the other thing is a lot of people give up the fairy angle. They don't believe in it. They're like, this yeah. is not working good enough. And then they do just the opposite. They're not patient enough. And, and, and a lot of boating is patience. Absolutely. Yeah, feel absolutely. and patience. And uh, so if you don't believe in your fairy angle, if you just say, oh, I'm going to throw that garbage out, yeah. the next thing you know, you're, you are accelerating into the problem. You know, more to your point about the big rocks and the small rocks, this year was a high year, and, and we, I was riding on a raft with a guy that's only done it once, and, and he's doing a great job, and he's going, and he's over paddling for these big rocks and then ending up in other rocks you know what i mean instead of just letting it ride and then little little corrections little corrections when you have the deep water and so in october we're doing uh, the grand canyon in dories and more to your point, you were talking about that huge wall of water, and I saw this picture of this dory just like straight up. I'm going, that's going to be me. I'm like, do I bring an extra strap to hold on? Do I get the Velcro deal, you know, like five-inch wide Velcro? Like, now, interestingly, in a dory, uh, like a kayak, you can play more offense. Okay. And in a cataract, you can play more offense. In this, I can pl- in that creature craft, I can play a lot of offense. Okay, um, and you can just power right over. Well, it's sunlight. not powering; it's working with the river in an offensive strategy. Okay, and uh, and you'll see paddle rafters do that too. So the the guide will set an angle on a certain part of the river, and the river is never level. If you really look at it carefully, oh yeah, never. It's never level, and that's for several reasons. But the biggest one is that it's it's a laminar relationship. Every layer has a different speed. Mm. totally and you you know so that's one thing the other thing is there's going to be high points and low points and so the eddy lines some might be high some might be low yeah. but let's say you're going around a turn and you're playing the aggressive game what's going to happen is they're going to kind of take this angle around he's going to set that angle but he's going to have a lot of power but he's also going to have a little bit of a hillside mm. in the river yeah. that mm-hmm. he's working with and if you can discover that hillside playing the defense, it'll be all easier. Yeah. And a good way to practice then the downstream ferry is what I call breaking the seal. If you've ever come around a, a big, big bend that almost comes all the way back around, mm. and it's peeling up against the wall. If you just throw that 45 and 90, you're going to, you know, it's still going to work, but you're going to be pulling and pulling and pulling, and the boat's yeah. going to go slower and slower and slower. And you're just going to be working harder and going slower is what it, what it boils down to. And it yeah. still might work. But what you actually want to do, if I'm coming around a big, big hook like that, I might turn that butt. I'm not going to lose the butt of the boat. I'm not going to lose the ass end of it. But I'm going yeah. to turn it downstream just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it and it, it's going to break that funny seal of that eddy line. Yeah. And you're going to you're going to accelerate backwards. You're going to feel yeah. it right away because mm-hmm. you're going to go from that ferry defense, 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 yeah. and then you're going to once it really starts to hook around that cut bank, yeah. you're going to break that seal, pull back, and you'll be like. Yep, and you really feel it. You know, it was very high this year, and there was a spot where that would have been very useful because came through. It was shallow, and I could only go pretty much two places. And I went in, and I did my ferry angle, and then I was like, okay, maybe a little ninety. And the I mean, normally we're going two, three miles an hour on the Mm, Golden. We're mm -hmm, going five mm -hmm. and a half miles an hour with our GPS. High water means everything. Yeah, yeah. And it went in, and it's like, hey, put the poles away. Here you go. We're going to hit the bank. We're going to hit this tree. And we didn't, I mean, it wasn't hard. You know, it was a planned attack. But still, I mean. Is that where the log jam was in the middle? No, it was was like a shelf, like he's saying, where you can see the river just pan down to the left. And then there was like a big cut bank. Mm. And so I went in a little too steep. I probably should have came up early. 
but it was hard to get over there and people were fishing and stuff so i was trying to keep them close to the nice holes but i went in and then like as soon as you dropped down it was like you know go oh, go yeah. go and then it just kept going around yeah and that probably would have worked to break yeah. that tension of that because yeah. it kind of sucked me back and yeah. sucked me into shore yeah. which is where the tree was which wasn't like a huge sweeper it was just a little tree but, but yeah it's, uh, that's why i call it i mean I, I don't know too many people that call it that but breaking the seal is the best way i can ex explain the feel mm -hmm. because, yeah, yeah. because you're like you're you're like i'm sucking I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sucking. It's like th there's suction. Oh, you're yeah. feeling it, and you're going towards and then it's going to hook. It's going to hook. So when in doubt, you're still better yeah. off to play defense, 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 defense. Oh, yeah. But at a certain time, you're like, am I just going to go slow as heck around this? I'm doing everything, and I've got the angle I want. Yeah. But if I just cocked it downstream with my power stroke at the right time, and timing's everything, too. You know? Yeah, totally. But if I did that and just gave it one pull, you just feel that yeah. You just feel that acceleration and easy backwards. Now you might have to go back into your fairy angle too, right? Because you haven't lost your butt. You haven't just let it. Ah, whatever. Yeah, I didn't yeah. lose the butt. Full three sixty. I, I was definitely sucking wind because I was like on the tippy toes, just yeah. And that's the cla it's probably the classic case of what you said. I mean, it's your you're defensive. You're you're not letting the real estate of the boat get in trouble. Yeah. But you're working so hard in a deceleration defensive setup that yeah. that you know once you break that seal and play that just that tiny offense at the same you're getting more out of it it's yeah, pretty it's pretty cool actually and yeah. it wasn't very wide it was like five feet wide so you know i mean the boats yeah 14 15 feet so guys. like you didn't have a lot to play with but when in doubt and a lot of people give up a lot of people just kind of like enough of this i'm giving <laughs> up and let's say you're going around a turn that has a sweeper or a strainer or a combination sweeper strain a log jam oh, yeah. but you do have a clean path if you keep working the worst case scenario is you catch the bow and it spins around and you're not in there but if you didn't keep working then near half your boats there and yeah. if you gave up all of your boats in there so oh, just making that little real estate gain can mean everything yeah, i've seen some people give up that's for sure yeah <laughs> and, you, and, you, and you see it going through holes too like oh well i'm in it no keep doing something yeah you know it might not be the right thing but keep doing something because chances are if you're doing something you might adjust to the right thing yeah <laughs> or, or a better place okay <laughs> all right trivia time Ooh. Ooh. Dude, I like this. All right, guys. So uh, the first question is, uh, what is the longest river rafting expedition ever completed? Mile-wise? Mile-wise. Bonus points would be like, where is it and who did it? I have an idea, but I'll let others go No, first. no, no. You go ahead and go first. Go for it, bud. Does it matter if it's like the same? Does, no, okay. go, go. No. Okay. So... There's a guy from Minnesota that took a kayak and hiked up Choku Pass, and he went like the Koyukuk, Yukon, like hiked through the woods, did all this, came out, popped out of like Nome, went all the way down through the ocean, never ocean kayaked a day in his life or whatever, and he goes through, comes around, and he said the hardest part was Cook Inlet, and he almost biffed it twice, and Cook Inlet nice. came out and came right across like Westchester. Five months damn five thousand miles five, five thousand months Whoa. took him like a year to plan it he went up chokut and they said don't go it don't go don't go so then he went back up when they said it was good hiked his raft then came back down and hiked his food up 
and he had food stations the whole way and he did 5,000 miles in five months. That was way that's, beyond that's what I was thinking. Cool. That cool. sounds awesome. I think I heard about that. Uh, it, I, I can't remember if it was a raft or canoe, but I mean, it was like... It was on... Uh, it was a specialized... I want to say it was, was a, it a two kayak brothers? or canoe. Was it no, two, it was no, a guy, it was a I think it was one guy from Minnesota, uh. but it was uh, it was on uh, Outdoor Explorer. Nice. <laughs> cool. I don't know how long ago, years ago. Anyways, that's my cool. guess. That sounds pretty good. I was going to say 1,000 miles. All right. And I was going to say uh, the Yukon. Okay. Okay. That was my guess. Well, the Yukon's what, like... Nine? 1980-something miles. Like oh, it's long. Miles. It's, it's absolutely Starts long, in Canada, yeah. right? Sure, sure. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Okay, Brian, All right, think? Brian. World's longest river rafting expedition. This is like the world record book one. Yeah. So yeah. this doesn't have anything that wasn't... Um, you know, there's, there's a couple of rivers, uh, you know, that are... Um, you know that are over in asia that you know like the yangtze and the yellow and oh, some yeah. of those that uh you know come to mind just because they start up so high that you'd be like getting altitude sickness to start <laughs> and, yeah. and, and you know if you, and if you completed it you know and, and survived it um you know it's uh you know i, I would have to say some of some of those but i guess i guess you know it's it's hard if, if you're talking source waters um, you yeah. know, to the sea type of things. I mean, you could you could certainly start in, uh, you know, some of the like the Grand Canyon of, of the Amazon in Peru and then on down the Amazon. If again, if you that's had, what I was you thinking. know, I mean, those some of those are incredibly long Ooh. too. But I I would have to say that if you you know you jumped in a in a raft, is that what we're talking in a raft? Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a conventional raft. It could be just yeah. some some weird thing, even you know, like a yeah. creature craft sort of creature thing. Creature craft, you know, the Amazon, you know, like next. a Russian rendition <laughs> of uh, yeah. you know. Uh, I, I would have to say some of those that are that are. Uh, you know, crossing that because those are some of the oldest rivers in the world, and and um, oh, yeah. they just, I would say, just length and volume. And if you could put the whole trip together, um, you might not be able to afford to start and stop somewhere in between. You might have to finally finish. And so I would have to say, like the Yangtze or the Yellow, or and, and some of that. But yeah. uh, I don't know if the Nile's long enough, but. If you started out again, uh, mm. you know, in one tributary of the Nile, and then just you know yeah. just kept going, uh, I suppose those are possible too. But I think your I think your guess for North America, you know, any kind of like Mackenzie or Yukon drainage mm. sorts of things would be, you know, I mean, I suppose you could start out in some other places and call Mississippi tributaries and go on. Oh, yeah. So, so if, you, if you just jumped on a river called this from start to finish, I think the Yukon's a really good example of that. But I'm still probably going to say that it would be like the Yangtze. Or okay. Yeah. All right. So in 2012, Tehran Kumar Bondari performed the river rafting for 2,525 kilometers. So I got to do the math there. <laughs> In 56 days. Oh. Rafting the river Ganga, which was, I think it's Ganja, was done from the nearest point of its source to the estuary. So oh. to the ocean. Wow. Yeah. So what is that? Um, kilometers. 25, 25. That's crazy. That's a long way. Isn't yeah, that's a long way. And some madness. of those, oh, dude, some <laughs> of those, well, some of those rivers, like he was saying, like, it's not just the water it's like what's attacking you in the water you know like, like yeah well there were there were years this was years ago and when, when i first got involved with air rafts actually and i tried to put an alaska team together 
to to go to the world championships which were on oh, the zambezi wow. Right. oh wow and uh and there was actually the death waiver had nothing to do with the white water it had to do with hippos and crocs <laughs> oh, right. in the yeah. calm water oh, right Dude, yeah. those hippos are and, madness and i told air i said you know i can't promise you'd get a boat back yeah and uh and, and, and i said you know there's so many things that could happen i don't know if it's on this this border of this country or this border of this country where the raft could end up yeah. logistically yeah and then if a hippo eats the boat i'm not bringing it back yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway we, we never was it because i really wanted to have an american and an alaskan team with an american That'd made boat awesome. yeah, and it cool. never worked out yeah, they yeah, were yeah. like no if you can't bring our boat back sorry charlie yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, i saw an awesome kayak movie like 15 years ago from that river and it, they make it through all the crazy rapids that are in like a really nice stretch and then the, there's two paddlers. The second paddler just disappears, and a croc got him. Oh what? Yeah, and it, it's a really good documentary. I'll have to man. look up what the name was. It's awesome. So the ganja, where I mean, where does this start? Does I think it say? it's in. I think it's in India. Wow. Let's I see. mean, I would guess so. I mean, uh, I mean, there's such opportunity. The opportunistic feeders in those kind of rivers like i remember watching that river monsters guy and there was a fish he's cool his, yeah he had the giant <laughs> teeth with the fish and he he catches the fish and there's another of that same species fish in the inside it, it's choking he pulls it out and pulls like has half-eaten fish and drops it and like and then lets the fish go he's like very nice about that but they're just they'll eat anything yeah, was my point. Like he, alligators, they're just eating whoever, right? They but the ganja must start up in the Himalaya. Yeah, it does. Right. It's got to. Yeah, it's it got to. And yeah. then it goes to India. Wow. Yeah. Good question. Yep. That's so it's cool. fifteen hundred and sixty-nine miles. And I'll look up that cool story you told. I'm, I'm sure that exists too, but that it probably yeah. didn't. It, since it wasn't like a That's single a trip, it he didn't, didn't raft. He kayaked. Well, and so. I, this is like a single river run. Oh, it okay. wasn't like multiple river. Yeah, runs. he that hiked from story, that the kayak awesome up to something else, and like something when you think words. about those logistics too, you know, uh, it's it's what do those people believe in the river? You know, are you even supposed to really be out right. there floating is it you know is it's a gift from above that you know you shouldn't be in there yeah. you know you know it's funny more to your point he's telling a story on outdoor explorer about this thing and he said he's in the ocean and he can't even see the waves he could hear him crash and that's how he knew how to like where to paddle and what so he was experienced oh. enough to know what a crashing wave was and this and that. But just he's out in the ocean, way. like Nome, all the way cruising yeah. around yeah. Alaska, and That's he cool. just That's heard cool. it. Yeah, it's crazy, wow. man. Yeah, mm. I'll, I'll try and find that name right. and that thing. Jackie, another one. All right. Okay. What is the longest continuous raft trip in Alaska? In how many miles? Man. In Alaska. Yep. I mean, I'd have to say the Yukon just because it just goes straight from outside Alaska all the way through and then dumps out on the other side of the state. It's almost a mile wide. In some yeah, places. that's a good it's, one. That's I a mean, good answer. I'm going to go with the same answer, actually. I don't know what. I, I don't can't know think any of other bigger else. rivers than that. Right, like so. So, the, the, I guess we're qualifying this a little bit that it starts like in Alaska. So, so somebody's not starting this raft trip in Canada somewhere. Right, they're uh, you know 
But if they dump in where the border, I'm just looking at the state over here on this map, and I'm going, okay, it's off to the side. It's in this huge lake, and they have that train thing that goes to it. And sure. All oh, yeah. And it's so it's like you go all the way around it, and then you dump out. I'm going to go with the Cusco. The Cusco. Yeah. Cusco Two Yukons and a Cusco. What is it, Jack? It's the, it's the Yukon. Yeah, I figure, yeah. yeah. 1,400 miles. So 1,400 miles, and... and that's a lot. I, I'm just trying to think where you would actually put in in Alaska for that. I know. I'm looking at the map. So, so if you if you looked mountains. at the map and just the border from one to the other, I, I get that. Right. But where would you put in? <laughs> Man. And so, put you know, a raft trip has to put in somewhere right. and, and come out somewhere. I mean, listen you know, to some Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so yeah, it'd be, it'd be an interesting toss-up there because most people that are going to float the Yukon – you know, we're going to put in maybe at, uh, let's say, Eagle. That's yeah, kind of, that's Eagle, kind of a yeah, common, yeah. common location. Yeah. But if you were also saying, well, I'm on a Yukon adventure, uh, you're probably going to be, uh, you know, up towards Whitehorse or something yeah. and, and entering. So I guess you could say if you, what, it's not, un, you could start the trip in Whitehorse and then say, I paddled from this point oh, in Alaska to yeah. the other. Yeah. So they, but the, both of those would be pretty close. A lot of Very people put close. in uh, Dawson, actually. So they drive up. My, my buddy's parents every year yeah. would go do a canoe trip or a raft trip now because they're older and they just don't want to like have the yeah. chance. So the Cusco yeah. equipment 702 miles. And what was the Yukon? 1,400 within well, Alaska. Within Alaska? Yeah. I think, it, Alaska, I think, yeah. It, I think oh, it's 1,982 miles, I want to say, total. It don't is. Quote. Is yeah. it? Okay. That's wow. cool. That's Last cool. time I looked it up. See, that's a good yeah. fact. Wow, Better with every you. cent, baby. Better <laughs> with every cent. Good fact. And, and, good you fact. know, I was really tempted to agree with you, but then I was like, where would I put in for that? Yeah, yeah, I was, totally. was yeah. kind of overthinking it. You yeah. know? And the guy that did it, the the Minnesota guy, he ended up, I think, going to the Kuskokwim and the Koyakuk, or one of those two, and then dumping out into, I want to say Nome or Bethel, like it dumps out right there. I forget which one's which, but one of them dumps out right there. So he ended up hiking from one to the other, and it was where the steamboats with the Christian missions oh, wow. used to go up back in the day, mm. and they'd go up the one, and then some people would hike yeah. to the other. Anyways. Yeah. One more jacket? Stuff. Yeah, we got one more. Cool, cool. That's some cool. Sydney Lawrence stuff. Shout out to the right. Koyakuk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. When was the first river raft made? And this isn't from wood, so I guess it would be like, like true, like prototype of oh, what would become a river raft. And for river, not like a, a, a lifeboat or something like that. I have an idea, but I've been. Nineteen forty-nine. That's a good one. I guess it could be for a lifeboat too. 1949 is my guess. 49. It's a fir first like raft that was made for like multiple water, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know. Mm -hmm, yeah. Yeah, because it's 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 kind of funny when you look at inflatable history and you you yeah. look at, you look at um, the the sinking of the Titanic and basically at about that time they had come out with oh. pneumatic boats, but none were on that boat. Yeah. Right. And you just go yeah, <laughs> you know, with all that new technology, where was those rubber, cruise? beautiful rafts at that right, point? Right, right. You're like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I see that. And uh, but uh, but you know, most of the most of the the the, the rafts that that uh, we consider double ender rafts, you know, most of those were kind of coming out. Um, you know, they were they were surplus boats. They were they were basically for the ocean and cut in half. Yeah, and. Um, 
and then put back together. <laughs> and and they were put back together for the western big rivers mm. is what they were you know so so you're basically looking at multiple people pretty much in the 50s trying this kind of stuff and uh but but that doesn't necessarily say who is the first right because i think that's highly debatable i i gotta i gotta date but just because i've been looking at the grand canyon stuff and some other stuff. That's, that's the reasoning is, totally. the, is the, yeah, the big western canyon. rivers i'm yeah. gonna go with 1952 and that's just a number that stuck in my head from some arbitrary thing i probably watched okay probably not even right good 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 brian no, I'm I'm right with you on that because uh, you know there are some you just people put the middle that c- and go fifty one. Sure, yeah, there you sure, go. sure. <laughs> you know, because it was like during the Dories and the other stuff, and I remember watching some video. Yeah, I don't know, it just stuck in my head. It, All right, and there's an Alaskan actually that was part of that whole thing. Is his last name is a very famous, you know, adventuring name here, Griffin. Mm, oh, and okay. uh, and I mean, you know, but again, you know, the early days of what do you do with this thing? Will it hold up? Does anybody <laughs> believe in it? Yeah. Are there yeah. any available? and then you start to see you know people saying hey maybe this will work yeah and so what you know what's an experimental double ender and surplus and what's a real one that's like this is the first manufactured raft this is acceptable this is going to do it and actually there's a lot of difference in time there there's easily 10 15 more years yeah and no one's going to save me so i better make sure it's good (laughs) all right (laughs) so the discovery of vulcanized rubber was charles goodyear from the tire guys at 1838 so this other dude thomas hancock 10 years later started using that rubber to make inflatable boats so they used for different things it doesn't say they ran rivers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah 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 Yeah, that's that's true and goodyear Goodyear got none of the credit basically yeah Yeah. it's interesting it's like so so that i mean that but his was like will this float and what's it for yeah right and so i wouldn't qualify that as uh, i mean it's valid history for sure Um, yeah totally and and then goodyear worked his ass off forever and still, even though the namesake of like Goodyear tires and blimps and all this kind of stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. you oh, know, yeah. he he basically died never getting credit for anything. It's like, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll take his name. Yeah, yeah, that's it, crazy. It, it, uh, so yeah, it really, it really. We got is. a blimp named after you. Someone else stole his technology yeah. for for inflatables. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a blimp that didn't blow up and so you're doing <laughs> <Right>. good <laughs> but, but as far as far as like western you know double enders that are actually built for the rivers you know like yeah. hey somebody said let's take what we have and make a river runner yeah I wonder you know your, your timeline is really good and then it would just be debatable who decided to cut what in half right. and why yeah and, and, and so the first guy for example was saying well let's try this and then eventually a commercial guy said let's make 10 of them yeah and and, and yeah. so I, I think that's why the the history is well, like you were debatable. talking about skiing a lot, you know, like when we were, me and him were working at Hilltop and Liska, and then we're doing all the, you know, borderline we're, stuff. We're borderline, but we were building the half pipes and stuff, and they came out with those double ended skis, and it was like the Whoa. first double ender, <laughs> yeah, so you didn't yeah. have to land backwards on a 180 on a skis or a five or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so when you land backwards, you could actually run out yeah. instead of just like tip forward and try not to eat it. And mess up the hat pipe and get yelled at by snowboarding definitely changed the ski game yeah totally and it was like double-ended skis like you should definitely look up the name griffith and and and, and because uh his his son i want to say is i mean is up there age-wise 
Yeah. And the guy just like won his age group on that that Alieska climb or whatever they just had. But uh, incredibly talented outdoor adventure family. But he's got some cool old pictures of him. Mm. He walked from like Alaska to Greenland or something like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, in segments, but still, you know, like, wow, you know, hot tent. Yes. (laughs) You know, (laughs) we're in Dawson. You'll get some of these old timers talking and they're like, yeah, we walked a thousand miles. And I'm like, what did you bring? And they're like. A stick of butter, some other, I mean, like nothing, just fat, just (laughs) to eat. And they just slice it off, keep going. I'm like, for a thousand miles in the cold? They're like, yeah. Well, they started a lot of that adventure racing. And so Mm. when you start looking at the adventure racing and you go, who started finally winning this and why? That's when Packraft started. So were Packraft's Packraft's? Yes, I guess they were Packraft's. (laughs) But, you know, were they what we are seeing today? No, no way. Oh, no. They were an adventure race boat to say, I don't want to run. I don't want to walk. I think I can go down this river and cut my time yeah. and win the race. Oh, oh yeah. And, and so, uh, so, yeah, so I mean, all, all these man. kinds wow. of things come out of that, you know. Yeah, I, I just think of the old explorers, you know, like when every time I go to Tri-Cities, Washington, where a lot of my family moved to, you know, you think of all the explorers that went up that, all those channels and cruised around and that water and the power back in the day, and they're in. Like that ribbed boat with like mm-hmm. nothing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And no, like on the Lewis and Clark, like no one died. Yeah. And it's that's what crazy. I'm thinking is like, is. they're going, I look at all the river tributaries and the thing and I'm going, I just went up that thing in like a skin canoe. Yeah, like, it's it's insane. insane. Yeah. What yeah. we brag about now is just like uh, nothing. Yeah. yeah. He took a, a, a burl out of a tree, carved it, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, discovered part of Utah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's like, what yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's <laughs> so unbelievable. Yeah. How'd you patch it, Adele? Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. The first thing he made it's was awesome. a wood fire hot tub, and then he shaped all the wood in that, <laughs> right. you know, by curving it. It's, 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 it's incredible what yeah. our forefathers have done yeah, yeah. To, to get what we have now. Man, yeah. it's so impressive. Adventures. Yeah. And there's still people out there that are doing really cool stuff. Like, Oh, yeah. yeah. But it's like... There was some guy that used to go, he was trying to teach people about climate change, and he was going in a sailboat that someone had given him. He had solar panels. He's raising like three kids on this thing, and they would go to all the tallest peaks where they'd stop, kind of like you do in uh, Prince William Sound in your boat. And they're doing this like up in the Arctic. They're doing the Arctic Passage. They're going to little villages and teaching people, and they're with their kids. And it's like, this guy's doing this on like, like, no heat diesel yeah. drip stuff yeah. like in the middle of nowhere with his wife and kids and he's like yeah you got to be nice to your wife he goes because she's the only one that's like of age to save you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you're up in a crevasse yeah. uh, <laughs> ryan uh, thanks for coming in and thanks for chatting uh, with oh, us this is great yeah. all the knowledge you have and um man i learned a lot and anyone that wants to check it out alaska raft connection um on Facebook and also the website alaskaraftconnection.com. Yep. Yeah. Um, check out the store. I'll be there this week to uh, chat up some Anytime. more with, with some repairs <laughs> and yeah. maybe a new boy, bad boy on the list. <laughs> um, Aaron, thanks for coming and joining us as well. Anytime. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, yeah I haven't it, seen you in 
I know it's been a long, long time. time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I never I was, forget a face. Though. I was yeah, telling him, okay. I was like, oh, I remember you always go in there and you're, you're, you're rushed for time or whatever. And I was like, I forgot how knowledgeable Brian is, man. He yeah, well, yeah. knows all these cool specs. <laughs> and yeah. I, I always learn something talking to you. So I appreciate oh, that. Oh, cool. Appreciate that. Yeah, appreciate I do. It. You're Definitely. a man of your craft. And yeah, it's really I wonderful. I really appreciate hearing that. You. Thank you. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're a true Alaskan, Brian. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for taking care of us for all these years and being a good friend. I really appreciate it. Awesome. I'm not sure we could have patched anything (laughs) on those trips. (laughs) The early trips. Uh, Thank you, Alaska, for listening. We appreciate you. Check out the website, alaskawildproject.com. Check out alaskaraftconnection.com. And as always, stay wild, Alaska. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) you Are you not overcautious when you assume that you cannot do what the enemy is constantly doing? The Alaska Wild Project podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Barney Sports Chalet, supplying hunters with the best hand-selected gear since 1963. The exclusive home of Frontier Gear, built for the rugged Alaskan terrain. Your one-stop shop for all your outdoor needs. Visit Barney's today at 906 West Northern Lights. Big Rays, the Alaskan outfitter, committed to outfitting Alaskans across the state since 1947. Whether you're a recreator, parent, guide, or corporate buyer, Big Rays has the gear you need, tailored for Alaska's harsh conditions. Check out their new exclusive line of Rolic waders. Big Rays for all your outdoor gear and rugged work attire. BigRays.com. Tailored Restoration 24-Hour Emergency Home Services. Helping Alaskans restore their dreams since 1972. Services include fire, water, mold, post-emergency cleaning, repair, and remodeling. Give them a call in Anchorage, Eagle River, Matsu, or Fairbanks. Hit them up at tailoredrestorationalaska.com. Total Truck and Alaska Overlander, Alaska's premier supplier for custom automotive accessories and overlanding products. Providing all-inclusive rental vehicles and trailers, custom outfitted to explore the Alaskan backcountry with a unique and convenient traveling experience. The TreehouseAK.com, located at 341 Boniface Parkway, Alaska's own and grown cannabis and CBD store. Ask the bud tender what the strain of the day is to get your 10% off. The Treehouse, where the culture lives. AKO Farms, located in Sitka, Alaska, built from the ground up with concentrates as their single motivation, with exclusive products such as their sugar wax, full spectrum diamond sauce cards, and more. Ask your local bud tender about AKO. Marijuana has intoxicating effects and may be high-performing and addictive. Marijuana impairs concentration, coordination, and judgment. Do not operate a vehicle or machinery under the influence. There are health risks associated with consumption of marijuana. For the use of only by adults 21 and older, keep out of the reach of children, and marijuana should not be used by women who are pregnant or breastfeeding. The Bait Shack, located on Ship Creek upstream of the bridge. Can't miss the bright red shack. They are the go-to fishing gear rental and guide service on Ship Creek. Tight lines and fish on. Come hook into the action with them. Hit them up at thebaitshackak.com. Lawn Pro AK, Alaska's year-round professional property maintenance team. Services include weekly lawn care, custom landscaping, fertilizing, weed control, turf repair, and more. Schedule your free estimate at lawnproak.com. Alaska's OG Cider Company, Double Shovel, crafting gluten-free colonial-style ciders, founded as a healthier non-inflammatory brew option. Drop by their pop and tap room in Anchorage off of 58th and Arctic or visit the second location in Kodiak. Double Shovel, award-winning ciders. 
the Alaska chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. BHA is the voice of our Alaskan public lands, waters, and wildlife. Their goal is to uphold our hunting and fishing legacy while keeping our public lands wild. Stand up today and join BHA at backcountryhunters.org. Unmanly to say they cannot do it. 